coming up today after I've heard from you. So the first half hour, I'm just chucking the lines open. Uh, you know, Mondays, there's so much to talk about. Uh, disappointments, any successes? Well, Paul Cole was a huge success, wasn't he? Fantastic win for him. Uh, Bangladesh, test, we lost. White Fence, Pakistan, we lost. Uh, the Sevens in Dubai, uh, Men lost in the semi-final, women lost in the final. Fantastic, though. I watched a lot of that yesterday. I love the sevens. Um, in Dubai, it uh, looks hot. Man, it looks hot out there in the desert. Uh, massive loss. Sarah Hidney, who might be out for a little while, actually looks like quite a bad knee injury. She's heading back to New Zealand probably today. Let's see if we can get her on during the week, actually. Um... Just going down 26-19, I think it was, in the final. Once again, Georgia Miller, this young phenom, I think she's 20 or 21, just an incredible player as well for the Black uh, All Black Sevens women's side, uh, going down 26-19 in the final. Uh, Argentina beat New Zealand men 21-19 in the semi, and New Zealand came back with a very good win in the third and fourth game, which is rankings only, a uh, very valuable World Series points. They beat Fiji in the third and fourth playoffs, South Africa going on to win that uh, just against Argentina. Golf in the weekend. I didn't watch a single shot in the PGA Tour uh, event. Uh, the Hero, I think it was, where Scotty Scheffler won by three shots. I watched a lot of the Australian Open, though, which was um, great. Who doesn't like a playoff? Who doesn't like a playoff where uh, Jakun uh, Neiman, uh, he... He got up in the playoff against uh, Rakuya Hoshino, who was also uh, right up the top of the leaderboard last week as well. Minwoo Lee just didn't quite kick on for him, did it, uh, in that final round. I'm just trying to see what he shot, 72. Having shot a 64 in the second round, I thought, man, he's going to go back-to-back. Good second, uh, sorry, good fourth day for Adam Scott, who picked up a triple bogey, though, uh, early in his round and just couldn't claw it back. He went down by three shots. Um, but yeah, pretty good field. Really nice golf course. Good coverage of that as well. So what sparked or piqued your interest, your viewing pleasure? Have you got any gripes you need to get off your chest? Got anything you want to celebrate that we may have missed as well? Just uh, I mentioned to Smithy as well the, the exclusion of Rachin Ravindra from the New Zealand side for that test match against Bangladesh. It just mystified me. Is it... I don't know, is it stress management, is it expectation management, because he is such a young man, but he looks to have all the tools, and everything we hear is he's a very mature, wise old head on young shoulders. He was ready to step up. He was on a on a, on a trajectory. He was in good form, and then he had to sit one out. They'll probably play him now um, with even more pressure than what he would have had had he played that first test match. Um, but we were comprehensively beaten, you'd have to say in that test match, which now um, you'd expect we would have minimum had a draw and a win in this test match. And of course there's more on it now with World Test Championship points up for grabs. So we're going to be chasing the carrot every test match from now on, such as the impact that a loss can have against an opponent that ordinarily you should beat. Um, So you can call us on 0800 150 811. And on the White Ferns, I... I didn't watch it. Um, I listened to a little bit, but I found it quite dumbfounding that when your player that can take games away from people, I'm talking about Sophie Devine, and did she bat at 
five? Did she bat at one, two, three? She batted at four. And so the batters ahead of her had 40, 53 balls, nine overs, nine overs. Um, don't you give your best players the, the best crack at it? Uh, Susie Bates contributed reasonably well, 28 off 30. The other opener, 13 off 13. Maddie Green, who's a real, um, really important component as well, 43 off 28, but 127 runs just isn't enough in 20 overs, is it? And Pakistan got it with just about two overs to spare. And then when you look at our bowling stocks, uh, Leah Tahuhu, uh, just the two overs and went for 24 runs. We do miss Amelia Kerr, and I know while she's only, what, 9% of the team, she's probably increases our chances of winning by 20%, such as her class, and she will return for the next one as well. So keen to hear what your highlights, lowlights, observations, anything at all, what you barbecued, while we're still on that theme. While we barbecued, I had two lots of the gourmet sausages in the weekend. I had the spicy buffalo and blue cheese sausages. Oh, magnificent. That was yesterday. I had the straight pork ones. This is all from Westmere Butchery. Anyway, oh, I just love barbecue season and we're in it. 0800 811. Observations, complaints, celebrations. What do you got for me? Let's go to Mikey in Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. Oh, g'day, Staffy. Um, before I get on to what I want to talk about, um, if they don't pick um, Russian for the second test, I want answers. I Jeez. want someone to come out for New Zealand cricket, whoever's coaching that team, because I don't think it's steady at the moment. And I want their explanations and their reasons. Mm. Um, because for a guy who's, um, as you say, is running red hot at the moment, or was, we don't know now, um, supposed to be very good against spin, um, you know, a good part-time bowler or possibly... You know, it could be quite handy there as well. Um, there's a couple of batters in the All Black um, team who, man, they just seem to be past their use-by date or are desperately out of form. Um, Nichols and Latham, of all people, he, he, he's on fire for a while. Um, I just think we need some new blood, eh? Yeah, and you talk to people that know um, the next tier down better than me, and these guys ready. These guys ready, and, and a lot of our established guys are too hit and miss for me, if you know what I mean. Seemingly recently, and um, yeah, I mean, okay, Nichols double century, which was good on him and fantastic, but I mean, God, there's about another 20 innings either side of it, well, before that and just recently, it just hasn't performed, and like, this is not a very good start to our um, trying to get this, you know, World Test Championship thing underway. If we lose this game, uh, or even draw it, we'd, it'd be the first time we've ever lost to Bangladesh over in Bangladesh. So, you know, these are <laughs> a bit sick of all these records we keep breaking and <laughs> a couple of codes uh, on the wrong side of the ledger. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you, did you see um, on the Sunday program, might have been a week or two weeks ago, the interview with Razor Robinson? No, I didn't. I would recommend yourself and whoever hasn't seen it to go onto TVNZ On Demand and watch it, because if you want to get to know your new all-black coach, this gives you an amazing insight into what he's all about. Oh, is that the um, one that Sumo did, Scotty Stevenson did? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, I saw him promote it on his um, Instagram that it was even he learned a lot about the man. So, yes, I will do that. Yeah, because, I mean, look, you think of all the coaches in the past um, who we don't kind of get to know except in 
you know, press conferences and stuff and what do you sort of get out of that. This is a real insight into who he is, what he's about, what the future holds, and it sounds just desperately exciting, um, and, and what he's going to bring to the game in theory. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, get onto it. Brilliant. Good recommendation. I'm about that, Mikey. Thank you, sir. No worries. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Thank buddy. Uh, let's go down to Dunedin, who hosted the cricket, and they'll host the next one as well. Cliff, g'day, Cliff. Yeah, morning, Staffy. Good you had a good weekend uh, of golf. It's always nice to go and play and no special things. Yeah. Um, I listened to, um, there's a chap on, he pops up on my, on my Facebook, I'm following him. He interviews um, ex-All Blacks and ex-Rugby League players. Do you know the guy? Hmm. I can't think of his name. He, uh, oh, uh, not James Marshall. James Marshall, I can't think of that, that's his name. But yeah, there's a guy and he interviews all the old guys and he goes through their career and talks about them and it's really good. And, and, and Ian Kirkpatrick was one of the ones he spoke to oh, probably a month ago, I, I, I listened to him and it's a real good one. And he, yeah, Ian Kirkpatrick was a great Great guy, you know, a great man to listen to, and um, yeah, interesting stuff. So, but going back to the to the cricket, I touched on study this morning, and then I listened to um, the announce. One of our boys, or one of the boys on who came on and spoke, um, the South African lad who, who commentates. I've just Grant Elliott. Grant Elliott. Grant. And look, I found Grant was. Uh, it sounded like he was a bit of a cheerleader. He, he's probably so damn close to that side because he's played with a lot of them mm. that he couldn't really say anything regarding the decisions they've made going into this test and anything going forward in it. And it was just a hard listen, you know. It definitely, um, Ravindra should have played. You can't... He was making uh, suggestions that, oh, well, it's white ball and it's not test. Well, if it was a 2020 games he played and he'd done pretty reasonable, I would have thought, well, it's a big step up the test match. But that guy, he was class and 50 overs. He had to set himself up for innings. He didn't just go out there and, and lay into it straight away. And that guy deserved to be on, on the field. And uh, you know, I just, it was a real struggle listening to him uh, just downplaying we don't lose to Bangladesh, and now we've lost to them home and away just recently, and, and it's almost like, well, it doesn't seem to matter. And I want to hear from Stead. I want Stead on the radio telling me that the, 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 the Black Caps are playing for their shirt. They're playing for us. We don't want them losing to bum sides. And look, I'm not being tough on Bangladesh, but they are second level, and we are, we are top level. But mm. it looks like we're quite happy to drop down into their level. Mm. The amazing thing to me, and again, just looking on the scorecard, Tim Southey was our second top scorer at 34. Now, no disrespect to Timmy Southey. He's, he's not a great batter, and he got 34. Um, Daryl Mitchie, 58, and then Ish and Devon got 22. I mean, Ish Sodi, third equal highest run scorer. So that's our 9 and 10 um, blousing our top order against the same bowling arsenal. It's it's not great. And I'm damn sure Ratchin would have got more than Henry's. I know hindsight. What did Henry get? 16 odd in the first innings, two in the second innings. Um, 
But I've long said in the New Zealand cricket team, if you get 100, you're safe for 10 matches. You better get another 100 and then you'll be safe for another 10 matches. I think we've got better depth than that. And to have Rutchen in the grandstand was mystifying, Cliff. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like the old days of John Parker, Dag Parker, they called him. <laughs> he would get 100 when he was just about out the door. And suddenly he was back in for another three or four test matches. And then the pressure would go back on him and he'd nip another one out. Look, yeah. Nichols, even Latham, to me, the guys are both struggling. And probably they've had a lot of cricket. Well, especially Latham. It wouldn't have hurt him to have even stepped out of this game and given Ravindra an opening batting on the side. Mm. To me, to me, they had every opportunity. Luke Ronke is coaching this team, but he doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to come out and talk about this after the match. And I want to hear him say something about how this team went in this test match, or he'll just they'll just wash it over and then they'll talk about the lead up to the next one. Yeah, that's we, it. We won't know what happened about the first because they don't want to talk about it, mm. and that's that's disappointing stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just I I feel like that result in that first test match might lead to a little bit more blooding of younger players in the home summer of cricket because we were exposed. We were exposed both in selection. But the ones that were selected um, didn't kick on. I, I don't. I don't think there will be change. I think we'll come back home and Stead will take over again, and he'll he'll look at the same twelve jokers and he'll go, "Oh, that's my boys. That's that's the fellas I've seen on my in the changing room for the past three or four years, and I'm quite comfortable with them, even though we've just lost the Bangladesh." I'll give them all another go. This Sony's been in that team for 10 years and he's he's never performed really well in any test matches. But he, he keeps getting picked again. I, I just wonder, guys sort of come and go in cricket and they've never had a look. Mm. Mitchell was, it took too long to pick Mitchell and probably did the same with Conway. They could have probably picked him earlier than they did. But Mitchell was definitely a guy that should have been in the side or three seasons earlier. Yeah, yeah, he didn't get much of credit. In fact, I think they picked Conway as soon as they could because he had his eligibility issue. He had to naturalise as a New Zealander or something like that, and I think he got, he did get straight in. But he plays every test. Um, Daryl Mitchell plays every test now. Kane Williamson plays every test. We've got, we've got seven or eight there, but they seem loath to change the other three, don't they? Yeah, uh, it's a, there's some class players, like you say, Kane, Mitchell... Conway, Conway's a wee bit out of form. He's getting caught, he's trying to sweep, he's getting caught off the, uh, and playing on his pads. But but to me, yeah, like you say, there's probably half a dozen or six, six or seven of them that deserve to be there. The other guys are just hanging in there. It's like a good keen squad that uh, someone will carry them as though oh, we're expected to beat Bangladesh because they had three of their best players out. And we should have rolled them, really, even even playing them away. But they stood up, and, and we didn't, except for Kane and, and Mitchell. And, and the, the, the bowlers bowled, the openers bowled reasonably well, but the rest of them, well, it was pretty average. Mm. Even Phillips took five wickets. I think he took four wickets in the first dig, and, and he scored some runs, and uh, we don't talk much about him. But anyway, Cliff, always appreciate your calls, buddy. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day down there. Thank you very much. Cheers, buddy. Uh, one more call before the break. Let's go to Face. G'day, Face. 
Yes, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Kelly Clue, Kelly Clue, Kelly Clue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, Kelly Co. I know. Whoever the Wanganui oh, Whisperer sent us through Kelly Co. Oh, no. I owe him a beer. Yes, you do. Brilliant. Yeah, I got it at 14 to close on the tote at 7. Sensational. You love it when that happens. Yep. Never look like losing. Mm. Fantastic ride, too, by Lisa Alfres, uh, actually, because she can sometimes mix them up a bit. But, um, um, the, um does everybody realise that um, Rocky is the standing? He's yeah, because um, he was on TV last uh, I think the night before, not set the night defending his selections, saying um, this squad has already been pre-selected and we're sticking with it. And the hairy jab this morning, his insight might be spot on because he said, I don't think you'll see Russian Ravinder play in um, Bangladesh or when the team come home. Wow. 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 I know. I know. It's just something's up, eh? It's almost like there's a political political standoff between White Bull and Red Bull somewhere, but um, yeah, I'm quite astonished by that. Ronky was just absolutely adamant that yep, this is our squad and we're sticking with it. Mm. It's, 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 it's pig-headedness, Graham, isn't it? It's uh, like we like Ronky instead, they're better cricket brains than me, I know, but if they could just give us an explanation, a palatable explanation, I'm prepared to listen to it. I'm prepared to hear some reason. That's right. That's exactly right. That's all. That's all. Everybody wants to hear. Mm. And then you go, okay, now I understand. You know, but um, but yeah, until you hear that, everybody's speculating, but they don't want to put out the fire either. Mm. You know, they're happy for it to, to fester away. It's crazy. Mm. The punters and the supporters that get pissed off. Yep, that's it. That's it. Awesome, mate. All right, where are you today? Um, I'm just on my way over to uh, Wainuiamata. Oh, lucky man. Lucky man. Good on you, buddy. Okay, mate. Take care. See you, boy. Um, Fred has said if the All Blacks can blood young up-and-comers with no worries, then why are the Black Caps so against it? There's young talent going to waste out there. I feel sorry for any young player out there seeing no long-term futures. Cheers, Brent. We do hold on to cricketers, don't we? I think of most sports, though, if you think about domestic New Zealand cricket to international cricket, it is a massive step. But I think you've got to throw players a bone. Like, look, look how long they stuck with Finn Allen. He got so many opportunities after opportunity after opportunity, and now he's back in domestic. But I didn't mind them giving him a lot of opportunities, and I think he will play for New Zealand again. But Ratch and Ravinder at the top of his game. I could wax on about it all the time, but I do have to take a break. Love to hear your calls. 0800 150 811. We will be talking to Warren Lees very soon. Uh, very, very soon. Any questions you want me to put to Warren Lees about the White Ferns? He was there commentating for us here on SNZ. Uh, and, of course, we have all of the Black Caps and White Ferns domestic games, which is fantastic, including tomorrow. Uh, I think it's a 1 o'clock start tomorrow. Build-up starts at 12.30, so you'll have my dulcet tones 
uh, from 12 to 12.30. We've got a, I've got a half hour show tomorrow. So there we go. But that's okay. Uh, 100, the, from Sam, 100% agree on Grant Elliott. I love him, but he sounded like he didn't want to or couldn't make a bad comment about anyone in the black cap setup. Some of, the, of his opinions were wide of the mark from Sam. Um, and James says not the biggest cricket fan but isn't that Bangladesh team missing experience and blooding new players and the Black Caps still can't beat them yeah I think they were without three front line players and they chucked some guys in and happy days I think there was only one debutant but when I saw the number of tests each player had played at the start of the test I thought gosh they're light on experience yes they had home conditions but we should have put them away Um, we had pretty much Everyone available, and Ratcham was in the stands. I, 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 I can't get my head around that. Uh, always welcome to text us on double eight double three. I love getting your text messages. A, it knows that uh, I know you've got an opinion out there, which is really <clears throat> important in sports radio. And you're always welcome to call as well on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Right, it is time for this. You sit back and relax, Daffy. It's time for Sporting Headlines. Oh. New intro, Joey. Yeah, just vibing <laughs> it up, you know. Yeah. I don't always need to sing. Sometimes it's just like like chill Monday vibe. Just sit back and relax, Daffy. You That's work too hard. smooth. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm smooth, baby. Uh, just like Bowden Barrett, he's re-signed with New Zealand Rugby and the Blues until the end of 2027. Barrett is currently in Japan playing for Toyota Verblitz, but will be eligible for the All Black selection later this year when he comes back to the country and he'll return to Super Rugby Pacific in 2025. And New Zealand's Paul Cole has won the Hong Kong Squash Open by beating Egyptian Ali Farag in the men's final. Cole defeated Farag in an epic five-game battle to become the first New Zealand man to triumph in Hong Kong. Here's what the legend Paul Cole had to say about the win. Yeah, stoked, mate. Um, after the US Open, you know, I sort of I was preparing for this one. It was uh, I obviously had Singapore, but this was my main target. I really wanted to to target the Platinums this year, and um, you know, I sort of uh, brought my team here to try and try and win that. So I'm very happy with the performances I put in, um, not just tonight, but the whole tournament. You know, I really tried to play some aggressive squash, and um, this sort of brand I want to play when I'm going forward. So yeah, to to get a second title, a second platinum of the season is very very good for my confidence and the way I'm playing, and you know, just trying to keep that going for the rest of the season. Absolute legend. And uh, the Blackburn Sevens have finished second and the All Black Sevens third at the opening round of the World Series in Dubai. The women were beaten 26-19 by Australia in their final, while the men beat Fiji 17-12 in the third-place playoff. South Africa beat Argentina 12-7 in the men's final. Those are headlines, Daffy. Great headlines. Yeah. What, what was the first story? I was going to comment something on that. Oh, uh, Bone Barrett. Bone Barrett. Yeah. So... I was going to say the other day, I reckon he's re-signed with New Zealand Rugby because I saw him walk down the corridor um, to New Zealand Rugby early last week. Yeah, I was trying to remember too. I think it was start of last week. Yeah, yeah, start of last week or the end of the previous week. And as he walked past, I looked at him and I did, I did a signature thing with my hand through the glass. Didn't talk to him. Signature thing with my hand because that's the only reason I could think he would be in at NZR offices. And I did the signature thing, and he winked, which I think oh. meant yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, you didn't I, tell me that. No, I didn't disclose that because, you know, I, I, I let it run its course. Sure. I, I let it um, run its course. Oh, 
bring back Joey's jingle, Kenny from Canterbury. Sure. I mean, leave them wanting more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steph, the Kiwi cricket team needs someone like Brendan McCullum as their coach. As for too long now, they have been negative in their approach, especially towards spin bowling. They need to take the ball by the horns and have a go. I would much rather see them score a quick 30 to 50 runs than prod and poke at the ball so the opposition can have close in catching practice from Rob. Yes. Uh, hey there, Steph. I don't want to get off topic, but have you noticed that lately Trackside 1 and Trackside 2 have been out of kilter with each other? Sometimes the commentary rides over and over. Could you please find out what this is? Thank you, John from Christchurch. So are you saying that the commentary for the wrong race is over top of the vision? I haven't noticed that. I noticed that they you might be going to be watching a race from Doombin or something on trackside one and then it's going to run too hard into the next race in New Zealand so they just chuck it onto trackside two. Um, you have to be dexterous and if there's one due to go or it's about to go and it's not on TV, change channel and be dexterous because one of my bugbears, if it's a, the start time is 2.07 and at 2.06 and a half, no horses have been loaded away. And they're just milling around behind the sort Get them in. Get them in. I don't mind 30 seconds late to the start if one's being a bit cantankerous about getting into the stable, uh, into the starting stall. Get them up. When there's no excuse for a late start to a race, fine. If there's a farrier needs to reshoe a horse or something like that, or a horse has to be vetted, I'm okay with that. Uh, Keith says, leave them wanting more. Ha ha, what a tease. Hasn't anyone told you it's Christmas? A season for giving. There you go, Joe. Maybe you can mix them up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, I still want them. No, I'm, I'm going to tease them. I'm going to tease them. I was going to be nice, but no, no, no. You probably haven't got the old one on the um, on the audio bar here, have you? I actually do. Oh, you I do? I can play it right now, Keith, for you. Right now. But oh, but you are, you teased me then, Joey. I thought you were about to play it. Uh, what we are going to play is Warren Lees after this break, uh, talking about the white ferns. I might touch on the Bangladesh thing and the Russian Ravindra because I'm very keen to hear what a former uh, New Zealand cricketer and coach has to say on selection process, but more importantly, the white ferns. Any questions you want me to put to Waza Lees, get them in in the next four minutes because he'll be joining us in about that time. Welcome back in. Uh, we've had a weekend of international cricket, both the Black Caps and the White Ferns, both going down to their respective opposition in Bangladesh and Pakistan and calling the game for us alongside Steve Davey here on ECNZ of the White Ferns game against Pakistan is former Black Cap and Black Cap coach Warren Lee. joins us now. G'day, Warren. Oh, g'day, Mark. How are you today? All right? Very well, very well. Got a few disappointed listeners, I think, in the performance of of the White Ferns yesterday. Uh, how much of it was the White Ferns played poorly? How much of it was Pakistan played well? I was a little bit of both. Um, surprisingly, Pakistan came in with a determination, and I guess they're meant to start any tour with that sort of thing, but yeah, they dominated the whole game. New Zealand, The White Ferns just were not in it. Um, collectively, as a team, they didn't look part of it. They didn't hit the, the, the ground running. They they didn't hit the game with any aggression. Um, they they held back too often. 
the field placing wasn't quite right. And I know it's easy to say, oh, the pitch didn't really suit. Well, yeah, both teams had to play on the same pitch. But Pakistan really taught the White Ferns a lesson yesterday. I think tomorrow, same uh, pitch, same ground, probably one of two changes. But uh, New Zealand will have to perform 100% better than that. In both the men's and women's game, Warren, as a, as a casual observer, it always seems to be we're reluctant to make changes. Um, <laughs> is part of that lack of depth or is part of that lack of faith? What, what, what is that? It's good to show faith in the players you've picked. I think uh, once you get picked for um, either the Black Caps or the White Ferns, you, you, you're proving that you're in the top group of players in the country and the selectors have chosen you out of local domestic competitions, you get picked in that team and therefore they have a belief that you can play. It's your responsibility to carry that on. And I just feel as though um, yeah, there's, a, there's a little bit of a lack of depth in both teams, especially in the, the lack of consistency in the way we can't score runs in, in, in our middle orders. I think we rely far too heavily in both teams on two or three players at the top. And, and that's obviously your... Um, your Bates and your and your Kerr and Divine in the in the in the uh, girls team and obviously um, Mitchell now who's performing very very well and Williamson in the men's team and and the younger players have got a responsibility to actually perform mm. otherwise loyalty has to go out the window. Uh, Sophie Devine batting at four. Now, I didn't watch it. I did listen to a bit of your commentary yesterday, and I was just mystified why... I mean, you can argue whether she's our best batter or not. Um, Particularly in T20, Warren, you want your best batters to face the most possible balls, and particularly when the opening stint, there's only two fielders out. I scratched my head at her coming in at four. I think she's our best angry batter. That's a funny way of putting it. I think, I think when she is determined and she goes out with an attitude that we're not only just going to win this game, we are going to thrash them. The attitude that she can bring to captaincy and in particular to her batting is still there. I don't think she played anything like it yesterday. And in fact, I, I don't really think that any... Maddie Green scored some good runs, but they, they weren't runs that were ever going to win the game. They were runs that were going to get New Zealand perhaps close if she had some backup. But they, no one showed any aggression. Um, I, I was so disappointed that we were sort of like rabbits in the lights. Um, Pakistan bowled very well. They bowled straight. They bowled at good lengths. The wicket was holding up a little and we didn't have any timing. But we didn't actually go out there and say, we are going to be the number one team. And I think if they don't come with that attitude tomorrow, they'll get the same result. The White fans would be devastated to be 2-0 down after two games at the University of Otago Oval. They can't bring that attitude again. So is that is that what's missing? Purely attitude, do you think, for Game 2, well, which I, is in 24 hours' time? Yeah, I'm absolutely certain of it. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that uh, just looking at the, the way we performed with the ball, the way we, we fielded, and also that the lack of, of an aggressive approach Right from the start, we've, we've got a girl who's performed very, very well for, for, for Canterbury in the last few years, the girl Anderson, who opens up. She can really hit the ball hard. Mm. She didn't, didn't even look like hitting it hard at all. You can, you can tell by the, the body language of some of these players that we're just out there as the first game and we'll just play a nice game of cricket and we'll move on to the next one. Well, no, it, it's winners who are grimmers 
And, and really, you've got to win these games. We're, we're slipping down the international table game by game if we keep performing that way. I just want to touch also, talking to Warren Lease um, on the cricket, just want to touch also, I don't recall a cricketer that didn't play in a game get talked about more during a game than Ruch and Ravindra. Uh, Ravindra, I know Smithy was hot on it last week, that the golden nugget of New Zealand cricket is sitting in the stand. Can, can, can you throw any light as to a former coach why he wouldn't be included in this first test match? Yeah, I can understand. I can I can understand the way it may have come about in that um, the player that he could have taken the place of may have been Phillips. He'd scored a double century in his last test. Uh, there's a loyalty factor there. Um, 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 I'm sorry. I, I think Phillips, with his off-spin bowling, uh, I, I think there's, there's, every, there's every point in playing. I think Conway at the top of the order owes us a lot more. You're never going to replace Mitchell or Williamson in this team. Mm. But I think Ravindra really did deserve to play in this game. And the, and the supporters around New Zealand after the World Cup deserve to watch him play. And I know that Ian Smith said this morning, I heard him, he doesn't care whether it's red ball or white ball, and in a way, nor do I. If he's that good, and he really didn't perform at the World Cup, his name is all around world cricket at the moment. We deserve to, to have him play. And he deserves to play as well. We've got to make sure that these youngsters who really stand out are going to be given the opportunity. Going back to the White Ferns, that's exactly what we're looking for in one of these young players who've been picked for the White Ferns as well. Someone to go out and say, hey, I've arrived on the international stage, now watch me play. I think that's really important. And the importance too, and you've touched on it there, the youngsters, the the 18, 19-year-olds who have watched that World Cup and watched Ravindra, and he is their... Um, he is their flag bearer to their futures as well. They must be the young young cricketers in New Zealand must be mystified. Like he he was one of the best players at the World Cup, and we go to Bangladesh. These World Test Championship points at stake. He's proven himself in Red Bull cricket domestically. Um, it, it it's it's mind boggling to me when the fan base in New Zealand is screaming for him and the, and they don't play him. And indications are he probably won't play the second test as well, which is again stupefying. And, and also, we would like the White Ferns. This, this game coming up for the, for the Black Caps is, is vitally important for the whole season. One of the biggest home seasons New Zealand cricket has ever produced. There are so many teams coming here, both men's and women, mm. to play against our two teams, and everyone has turned on to cricket at the moment, which is amazing. And we've turned on to certain players. It's the responsibility of those who are trying to get in the team to stand out in the domestic cricket. They've actually got to stamp their mark first in domestic cricket and then bring that attitude into the engine. I know it's difficult because you're, you're sitting beside experienced players in the dressing room and you're feeling like you're so lucky. Did my name come out of a raffle? How am I in this team? <laughs> Gee, I've come a long way from the back street cricket with my older brother or whatever. But if they don't bring that attitude, if they go back to what they were doing two or three years ago, they don't deserve to be in the team. Loyalty goes out the window. Mm. And it is, it is a, there is a responsibility for the selectors to show loyalty to some of the players who are actually giving the very, very best. It's also a responsibility to say, hey, we're only here for one season, perhaps as selectors, we've got to look after the future of the game as well. There's a responsibility to, to allow the young players to, to, to get going and, and congratulate them on bringing a positive attitude to the team. Are we, and I'm loath to ask you this, Wally, but um, are we a little bit 
uh, stodgy when it comes to our our leadership in New Zealand cricket and the rest of the world and Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes is the best advertisement for it. Um, Aussies have been doing it forever where we don't put our foot down and we don't have that little bit of the anger that you talk about. We're a little bit like what England used to be. Mm. If you go back in, 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 in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or even only four years, go back to England cricket with our arms folded and slipped and just looking at the scenery and just enjoying the day and wonder what we're going to have for lunch. And, oh, gee, we've lost three weeks for 24. We're, busy. Um, we're a little bit like that, we are, actually. Mm. And, and, in fact, we used to laugh about the way there was a difference between Australia and South Africa and England. And the English had that sort of slow-thinking game, um, not, not really overly aggressive. We've slipped into that a bit. I think we need uh, we need to see the sparkle in their eyes. We need to see them running around and aggressively uh, congratulating each other when things are good and, and clapping and, and, and saying to the bowler, yes, we're here. You know, we're here to help you out. And I don't see a lot of that at the moment. I, mean, I just see, oh, it's another game of cricket. Oh, I used to play, I was in the IPL, and then I was in the West Indies, and then I had a tour there, and now I'm just going to play against these guys or these girls. And it's almost like it's all too easy, isn't it? Mm. You know what? Well, it won't be too easy soon. You, you know what? You know what? You just reminded me of was when Steve Rickson came in and took over the Black Caps, and we became the best bow, uh, fielding side in the world. The urgency in the field, and that picked up every other area in our performance. Exactly, and Steve Rickson, in a in a strange way, and I don't mean this as a negative, he had some of the players almost frightened not to feel well. Mm. He actually said, you're in this team for a particular job and I'm wanting 100%. Now, you show me 100% for the whole game. That's, I'm not criticising the, the coaching of the, of, of the team at all. I'm just saying it, it's a responsibility of the players to bring those attitudes mm. and to show the New Zealand public, the new New Zealand public, the new, they weren't even here two years ago, most of these people who are following the game so closely now. Now I've got to actually say... You stick with our game, and we you we will not let you down. Mm, we will entertain you, Wally. It's great to have you part of the commentary team with SNZ. I'm looking forward to more of your contributions. Thanks for joining us today. Not a problem. It was only your time. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. There is Warren Lee, former New Zealand keeper, of course, and coach of the Black Caps as well. We I, I just saw a text message. Might have gone to Smithy. We might have come onto this show saying that Susie Bates has been out of form for a long time. So I just did some maths. Her last nine T20 games. Uh, she's averaged 44. Her last nine, I went nine because that's the summer of cricket, last nine uh, ODIs, uh, she's averaged 45. So average of 44 and 45. Doesn't fire as often as she'd like and we'd like, but I still think there's a place for Susie Bates uh, in our White Ferns team. Remember, we do have live commentary of the White Ferns tomorrow. Build-up starts at 12.30. Back shortly. Some more of your texts from Ken to Staffy. Welcome back. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Bodie's back, which is great news. I've got a sneaky feeling we'll see him in a Blues jersey late season next year. Razor obviously had a word. Cheers, Ken. I think he obviously did too. Uh, G'day fellas, another scary worrying aspect of the Black Caps is when you hear Tim Southey saying live on TV in an interview that he would like to still be around for another four years and play another 50 over World Cup. I can only imagine if this current coaching regime is in place he will get that opportunity and still be around in another four years. New Zealand cricket is making it very difficult for fans to be loyal. Cheers, 
John. Um, Neil sent some in as well, which I haven't quite got time to get through, Neil, so I'll save them. I will get to them, though, more on the cricket. Um, That's one of my Christmas hopes, my cricket season hopes, is two new players announce their arrival. So we have Ration and two new ones by the end of the summer to take us forward. How good. After the news, we've got boxing. Well, we had all of the fighters on in the build-up to Wahine Toa up in Whangarei, and it happened in the weekend. So the man that called the fight, he was ringside. Uh, very, very good boxing caller and a great history in the sport as well. Monty Beetham joins us. Monty, what an evening for Whangarei. Staff it was. I mean, it all started with the build-up, and we had so many Wahine Toa on the show and throughout, uh, obviously, on your show, and talking about uh, the night and what was ahead, you know, they're very much changing the narrative and uh, to, to see them and to see everyone come out and force to watch their, their local superstars, uh, Wahine Tour, do their thing was under the lights was unreal. Yeah, because quite often you can give something a massive build-up and we had Lani, Mia, Jerome, Dean Lonigan all on my show last week and it was building to something really big and I thought, man, there's only one way that this could go is we've hyped it up too much, but oh, it looked incredible. Yeah, lived up to it. It really did, and um, it wasn't just your show. We saw on Sky TV. We we, we saw on social media. We saw throughout how how much um, noise it was creating, and, and and you know just the little stories about a lot of these wahine toy and what they've been through uh, adversity in their life and what they're doing now as a platform and, and helping the future generations be more to you know Bassett by and Hope and Nani Daniels inspiring the people from Pipiwai and uh, doing it for wonderful causes. And man, under the lights, staff and being the seat that I was to watch it all unfold it was it was frightening man and the atmosphere was electric man so Whangarei and uh, Dean Allen Vince uh, what a wonderful show they put on yeah fantastic uh, Dean and Liam did, did a fantastic job with it um, let's, I just want to pick on the three fights the three fighters it's a continuation of the story from last week Jerome Pampelone now his Mexican opponent he was chosen because he's durable he's been in with seven world champions he can take a hit boy Jerome is one explosive cat. <laughs> oh, mate, he's exciting. Uh, you know, you know, three rounds uh, to get rid of uh, three opponents and one <laughs> opponent of note in particular is that one. I mean, his last loss uh, for Rogelio Medina was against um, uh, Kana Plan, who was a, a, a former world champion in the middleweight division. I um, mean, he went 12 rounds. He also went 11 rounds before he got stopped um, by that man, Canelo, um, Sol Ivory. So... Just shows you how durable he is and how tough he is indeed. And to, to go out in the first round like that, and he tried to stand through the initial barrage, which was the overhand right from uh, Pampelon just behind the ear, which is uh, it, it proved on that night as well. It's very hard for people to stand up from. Um, but it's just the way he's just he pounces on his prey. They call him the t- toughest trader in the world, but I don't know if it does him justice, but 
because it takes away from his methodical process and, and, and figuring out his opponent and just pouncing on them and just destroying them because it was beautiful to watch and witness. Is there a danger that big names might try and dodge him, though, because he is so dominant? Because it's a natural progression about a championship fight should be on his horizon, but we've seen guys like him get dodged. Yeah, well, well, that's a, a very good call because obviously um, as, as champions you've got mandatories who you must face and then who you can choose uh, to fight in the top 10 uh, and then that's up to you. Styles make fights and, you know, although we're looking at our boy from down under and we think that he is an amazing prospect and, and someone that we could see holding the belt in the future, others might not feel the same way. Um, but it's hard to, to say um, otherwise when you're seeing uh, the result of uh, course in the weekend and what he's been able to do. Um, there's some very good cruiserweights at the moment. Uh, Jai Apatai is one who's a uh, world, world title holder and he's from down under too and I believe those have had some sparring sessions and from all accounts uh, that was very, very good. So um, I, I think we've got the real deal in uh, Jerome Pimple on and um, he's very excited to watch that for sure. He sure is. Okay, Lani Daniels, um, just she, she's called to interview because we're not interviewer. Uh, I can hear her smiling. She's loving life. Uh, she loves what she does. And can, can you just relive her walking? I'm going to do it for Mia too. But her walking amongst her people. Yeah, look, it was just amazing because I I knew what to expect because I've sort of been amongst it before. But um, you know, I with those walkings, I. I I get a little bit worried because she does get emotional and it's hard not to get emotional when you've got, um, you know, when she talks to her whanau and the people that come and watch her, that is her petrol mm. uh, and their vehicles boxing that takes her around the world. Um, so it means so much to have them there and when they're out there and they're doing their kapahaka and they're, they're talking to her um, on the kaupapa and it, it is pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, what she needs to do as an athlete is to go through the emotion um, and then come back down and think about her fight game and, and be strategic and go from a very emotional high sense to being very neutral and very methodical, which is what she does. A wonderful boxer, mate, and um, very smart, and no doubt she's been put through her paces uh, by that man, Rebel John Conway. Um, what a relationship, you know, sleeps on. She sleeps on the couch that she moves away in the lounge where John Conway does his work as well, and uh, and she, she gets taken to some very dark places in terms of um, uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. You, you've uh, speaking to her last week, and she said boxing sort of saved her. Like she'd sort of given up, and she'd blown out uh, triple figures in the kilos she was, and then got back into the boxing. And she still, to this day, pinches herself that she is a world champion. What do you see her boxing skill wise, Monty? Because she's got a great mental fortitude. But what's her skill set like in boxing that's going to keep her going? Well, most of she's a double world champion now after the weekend. You know, that's mm. the two weight um, classes. She's the light heavyweight champion of the world, and she's also the heavyweight champion of the world, um, IBF. Um, uh, but to do that, you know, and to come down, I think 10 kilos, uh, having done the one division to come down is very hard. It's a, a tough um, a prospect, also in Desley Robinson. Um, but look, I, I like the way she boxes. She gets boxed on the outside. She's just as comfortable on the inside. Um, she, she's got reasonable uh, power, but it's just their boxing IQ. And I think that that relationship, that chemistry between her and Rebel John Conway, um, it works. Um, the chemistry is brilliant. And um, as you mentioned, you look at her and you can see her, even when you can't see her live and you talk to her, you can see, you can feel that she's smiling. Um, the way she talks about boxing and her, her, her behind her, um, she's 
she's doing it all for the right reasons, man. And she's just a, a wonderful sort of role model who's, who's doing this for the girls. And she's changed the narrative because you've got a girl from Pippi Y who is our first uh, double world champion in terms of world champion in two different categories. That has not been done before is what I believe as far as I, I know. And, um, you know, she's just getting started and she's really enjoying it. And our other Northland champion, Mia Motu, I've been lucky enough to meet her twice and just being in her presence, this, she is a special human and um, what a fight she put on. Oh, yeah. Um, look, she had, she had a harder fight than I thought. Um, you know, Chandani Mira um, made it very difficult. She came out as a smiling sort of baby face assassin and uh, you thought, really, you know, should she be in there against a colour like me too? But her movement, her skill set, um, her game plan was definitely on. And at moments throughout that fight, I thought she was frustrating me more too. Mia couldn't really find her for long enough periods to, to really put that hurt on her. Um, she probably thought she was going to um, finish um, Mahira early, but um, that wasn't the case with the distance. Although there was moments there where she was holding and you, you thought that um, if she wasn't, being able to hold that, she would have found it a lot more difficult. Um, but me and more too, uh, punching power, class, wonderful ambassador. And, and even on the night when she should be thinking about defending a world title, she's talking about the bigger purpose, which is uh, the future generation and what they're doing with I Am Hope, man, which is just credit to her as an athlete. The incredible thing about this, Monty, is if Lani and Mia were from Wigan or Wolverhampton or something, they would be mega superstars. The boxing fraternity, the sporting fraternity in England would get right behind them. Um, I know we're behind them here, but they're probably going to have to go offshore and put their belts on the line somewhere else. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's nice that uh, they have been changing narrative and we've got some wahina tours to really look up to. And, you know, Danny Alice Smith was the first one who won her world title back in uh, 2010 and these girls followed her. And now these girls are doing the same and mm. they look to leave a legacy and keep inspiring um, the, the, the next generations. Um, but, you know, that's what you have to do. Um, sometimes you have to go away from home and, and that makes your legacy even even stronger. It is a shame because it would be nice, as we've seen with Joseph Parker and that, when you can do it all at home for very long parts of your career. Um, but that is the sport. And, you know, but with Denel events and Dino and that and what they've got in mind, you know, potentially we may be able to see them um, still for long periods of time here at home. And we haven't even spoken about Andre Mihailovic, possibly our most exciting prospect. Yeah, look, uh, the Russian was there. Um, he's a wonderful talent, and he's a, he's a guy that, um, you know, when he talks about how much passion he has for the sport, it, it's obvious you can see it, and just the, the wealth of talent when he plays and he fights underneath those lights. It's just exceptional to watch, and he's real. Uh, you know, often at times you, you think, what's he going to say? Um, because he shoots from <laughs> um, the heart and says exactly what he what he thinks. Uh, um, but just that, what they're doing at Peach Boxing, Isaac Peach and uh, Boaz and, and Alana, they, they've um, got a wonderful community. Because, you know, look at Jerome Pampelon. You know, he was a neighbour next door who got told to come over. Uh, next minute, he's a world-class fighter and also just finished his trade as an apprentice plumber. Uh, he's done some good things, uh, Peach Boxing and Isaac. Perfect, Monty. Thanks, Heath, for joining us, and uh, keep up the good work, mate. Oh, I have talked to you, mate. Sing skill-wise, Monty, because she's got a great mental fortitude, but what's her skill mm. set like in boxing that's going to keep her going? Well, most have she's a double world champion now after the weekend. You know, that's mm. the two weight um, classes. She's the light heavyweight champion of the world, and she's also the heavyweight champion of the world, um, IBF. Um, 
Uh, but to do that, you know, and to come down, I think 10 kilos, uh, having done the one division to come down is very hard against a, a tough um, a prospect also in Desley Robinson. Um, but look, I, I like the way she boxes. She gets boxed on the outside. She's just as comfortable on the inside. Um, she, she's got reasonable uh, power, but it's just their boxing IQ. And I think that that relationship, that chemistry between her and Rebel John Conway, um, it works. Um, the chemistry is brilliant. And um, as you mentioned, you look at her and can see her even when you can't see her live and you talk to her you can see you can feel that she's smiling um, the way she talks about boxing and her, her Bano behind her um, she's just doing it all for the right reasons man and she's just a, a wonderful sort of role model who's, who's doing this for the girls and she's changed the narrative because you've got a girl from Pippi Y who is our first uh, double world champion in terms of world champion in two different categories that has not been done before is what I believe as far as I, I know and, um, you know, she's just getting started and she's really enjoying it. And our other Northland champion, Mia Motu, I've been lucky enough to meet her twice and just being in her presence, this, she is a special human and um, what a fight she put on. Oh, yeah. Um, look, she had, she had a harder fight than I thought. Um, you know, Chandani Mira um, made it very difficult. She came out as a smiling sort of baby face assassin and uh, you thought, really, you know, should she be in there against a colour like me and too? But her movement, her skill set, um, her game plan was definitely on. And at moments throughout that fight, I thought she was frustrating me and Motu. Mia couldn't really find her for a long enough period to, to really put that hurt on her. Um, she probably thought she was going to um, finish Mahira um, early, but um, that wasn't the case. It went the distance, although there was moments there where she was holding and you, you thought that um, if she wasn't, being able to hold that, she would have found it a lot more difficult. Um, but me and more too, uh, punching power, class, wonderful ambassador. And, and even on the night when she should be thinking about defending a world title, she's talking about the bigger purpose, which is uh, the future generation and what they're doing with I Am Hope, man, which is just credit to her as an athlete. The incredible thing about this, Monty, is if Lani and Mia were from Wigan or Wolverhampton or something, they would be mega superstars. The boxing fraternity, the sporting fraternity in England would get right behind them. Um, I know we're behind them here, but they're probably going to have to go offshore and put their belts on the line somewhere else. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's nice that uh, they have been changing narrative and we've got some wahina tours to really look up to. And, you know, Danny Alice Smith was the first one who won her world title back in uh, 2010 and those girls followed her and now these girls are doing the same and mm. they look to leave a legacy and keep inspiring um, the, the, the next generations. Um, but, you know, that's what you have to do. Um, sometimes you have to go away from home and, and that makes your legacy even even stronger. It is a shame because it would be nice, as we've seen with Joseph Parker and that, when you can do it all at home for very long parts of your career. Um, but that is the sport. And, you know, but with Denel events and Dino and that and what they've got in mind, you know, potentially we may be able to see them um, still for long periods of time here at home. And we haven't even spoken about Andre Mihailovic, possibly our most exciting prospect. Yeah, look, uh, the Russian was there. Um, he's a wonderful talent, and he's a, he's a guy that, um, you know, when he talks about how much passion he has for the sport, it, it's obvious you can see it, and just the, the wealth of talent when he plays and he fights underneath those lights. It's just exceptional to watch, and he's real. Uh, you know, often at times you, you think, what's he going to say? Um, because he shoots from <laughs> um, the heart and says exactly what he what he thinks. Uh, um, but just that, what they're doing at Peach Boxing, Isaac Peach and uh, Boaz and, and Alana, they've um, 
got a wonderful community because, you know, look at Jerome Pampelon. You know, he was a neighbour next door who got told to come over. Uh, next minute, he's a world-class fighter and also just finished his trade as an apprentice plumber. Uh, he's done some good things, uh, peace boxing and Isaac. Perfect, Monty. Thanks, Heap, for joining us and uh, keep up the good work, mate. All right, Steph. Talk soon, mate. Ah, great to catch up with uh, the great man Monty Beef. What a what a night! What a fight night it was on Saturday night. And but what got most of my uh, eyeballs on the television was a wonderful Australian Golf Open. Uh, went right down to the playoff, and I know a man. He was either there or he would have been engrossed in it. Our great golf analyst Bruce Young, who I'm very pleased to see, he's going to come back over for the New Zealand Open down in Queenstown, which will be fantastic. And he he just brings so much colour and experience and knowledge to the game of golf for our viewers here. Bruce, um, before we talk about the Australian Open, actually, just touching on that New Zealand Open, it's our biggest tournament here, Bruce. We love it. What do you like so much about the event down in Queenstown? Uh, good morning or good afternoon to you, Stav. I'm still in. Uh, I'm back on the Gold Coast. I was down in Sydney over the weekend, but uh, look, I think the New Zealand Open is now established as probably the third flagship event on the PGA Tour of Australasia, behind the Australian Open, the PGA Championship. It really has established a position amongst the players, uh, especially who love the event. I think it's the venue. I think it's the uh, the golf course, the fact that they can play. Uh, it's the format, and a lot of play. I mean, when they first went to a pro am style format for the New Zealand Open about ten years ago, I think there were a lot that were quite sceptical about the whole arrangement. But it's really proven itself to be a success, and I think what it's done is really it's elevated the standing of the New Zealand Open and elevated the prize money because that format allows the tournament to generate more prize money than ever before. And it was on its it was struggling prior to going down to Queenstown, as we all know, and it really has uh, had a new life moving down there. So I think the venue, the the golf course, uh, I think the tournament organisation is outstanding. And to a man, the guys that I speak to, um, everybody wants to get to Queenstown, those that are mm. not tied up playing another tournament somewhere else, that is. And so uh, we'll, we'll have a pretty good feel down there. And once again, I'm sure a very successful tournament. Does it does it sit in the right place in the calendar, Bruce? Well, that's one of the biggest problems. Um, and, you know, scheduling is a very, very difficult thing for tournament organisers, for the PGA Tour of Australasia, just getting that balance right. Where Where should it be? But, I mean, given the fact that it's driven to a large extent, the commercial success of it is driven to a large extent by the corporate world now, given that it's pro-am, format, uh, I think that needs to be a consideration. You couldn't probably have it in the next couple of weeks, for example, because most of the corporate world are winding down for Christmas and thinking of other things and playing in a golf tournament. So there are a number of considerations when it comes to finding the right place in the schedule for it. But uh, I think that its success over the last few years since moving to Queenstown and having that position at the end of February, early March, tells the story of Whilst we might not always get the sort of strength of fields that we had over the last couple of weeks in Australia, it's still a, an outstanding event with and and provides plenty of interest for New Zealand golf fans. Yeah, and a lot of local flavour as well. Um, mm. fan, fantastic Australian Open, which uh, two playoff holes between uh, Hoshino and Neiman. Neiman with eagle putts on both of the playoff holes, which was quite uh, incredible. Um, I think a huge... A huge feat for Neiman, given that he'd finished his regular round 
so long ago before he got to play the playoff. That's some mental fortitude to go on and win the playoff. Yeah, very much so. I think he's, I was just looking at his stats uh, when I was doing the piece on him overnight, and he's missed. Um, he's uh, he's played in three playoffs before, and I think he's lost them all. So there was probably a bit of scar tissue there in that regard, mm. but. You're right. I think it was uh, 90 minutes or even more than 90 minutes, probably nearly two hours that he was waiting prior to the uh, final group finishing after his round of 66. So on what was a really demanding day yesterday, it got very breezy after the last group had played about three or four holes. It started to get really windy and got increasingly strong winds throughout the course of the afternoon. And that was a demanding golf course. It's a fabulous golf course, the Australian Golf Club, a golf course that I've always really loved. And uh, for Neiman to shoot 66 in the last round and come from a fair way off the pace, uh, and with so many guys and with a chance, Adams got to the got to the lead at one stage, then took a triple bogey. Minwoo Lee has been such a standout over the last couple of weeks. He was obviously leading into the final round and looking like he was going to go on with it, but he ended up finishing a couple of shots behind. And Ricky Hoshino, who had finished second to Lee up at the PGA Championship, really gave a good sight, didn't he? He's just uh, an outstanding player and what a quality individual he is too. Uh, but he's uh, finished run up, finishing runner-up on two consecutive occasions. He a D, he's a DP World Tour player in this event. <clears throat> and the Australian PGA Championship the week before were both part of the DP World Tour, so he's made a very good start to his season. Minwoo Lee, <clears throat> I wanted to touch on him, actually, Bruce. <clears throat> I love the effervescence of youth around this guy. I hope he never loses it. He's sort of an Aussie version of the Ian Poulters and the guys with a little bit of character and how he involved the fans last week. And again, um, that paid dividends trying to get him across the line. But aside of all, all of those antics and how he, how he involves the crowd, what a wonderful ball striker he is. Yeah, look, you're exactly right. I mean, it's not only the quality of the scoring that attracts a great fan base to Minwoo Lee, but it's the manner that he goes about it. He's an aggressive player. Uh, you mentioned Ian Poulter. I, I think Minwoo Lee engages and embraces people a little bit more than mm. Ian Poulter. He just seems to have gone to another level with his fan engagement over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's And he's a great social media person. Not that that's necessarily the greatest thing in life, but he, he really does... Uh, work the social media process pretty well, and he's got a huge fan base there and on the golf course. And one of the things that I saw about the Australian Open yesterday, despite this desire or decision to go to a multiple um, championship at the one venue on the one week with the ladies and the disabled um, uh, players playing for their respective championships, uh, when that was first uh, introduced last year, there were a lot of detractors, and I'm probably more of a traditionalist, and I probably lean a little bit the way of having separate Australian Opens. But you, the numbers don't lie, staff. You couldn't help but be um, uh, taken by the amount of people that turned up to watch not only Minwoo Lee, but her sister um, Minji Lee was in the women's event, and she got narrowly beaten herself. But most of Australia's leading players were in the field, apart from perhaps Jason Day. So I think they were all there to see their Australian's leading players playing uh, their two flagship events, and uh, and they and they weren't let down for sure. And the crowds, as I said, were simply outstanding yesterday. You talked about the women's side of the draw. I was going to mention that Ashley Buai, the South African. Did almost did everything she could to not win that thing, shooting a final <laughs> round 75. She had a monster lead. Minji Lee, she had the spinnaker up. She had the crowd behind her. That was another grandstand finish. 
Yeah, it was. In fact, Minju Lee was the only player amongst the ladies field to break 70. Yesterday, she shot 69, and that allowed her to make some very quick ground on Ashley Buhai, who, as you said, shot 75. But Buhai is a, a quality player. Not only was she the defending champion uh, yesterday, but she was also she's also won the uh, AIG Women's Open Championship, the Women's British Open, if you like. So she's uh, and and I remember her coming to the Gold Coast about 15, 16 years ago as a as a youngster. She she was a a prodigy from South Africa. She won the South African Open when she was a very young person, and she's always been considered a great talent. But she's only really emerged as a world class player over the last couple of years or so. Mm. But despite the fact that she shot seventy five and as you said, nearly gave it away. It was a, a successful defence, and uh, she managed to get the job done in the end, despite Minjili putting the utmost pressure on her. Yeah, I, just tell me about the logistics of getting both these tournaments at the one venue. Um, must have been a tough thing. Well, they play the first two rounds at two venues. The Lakes mm. Golf Club is right is adjacent to the Australian Golf Club, so that allows them to get a full field for well. Not a totally full field. There's only, I think, a 12 of the disabled players are in. They play 54 holes, but it allows um, full fields for both the men and the women to play over the first two rounds. Then they then they make a cut, and then they had a double tee start yesterday. And one of the most bizarre things developing yesterday was that Adam Scott, who had started a long way back, and um, and uh, started on the 10th tee, the first group off the 10th tee yesterday, uh, he was making a hell of a move and got to the lead through about 14 holes of his round. It would have been amazing to see if he had have gone on with it. He took a triple bogey soon after and really lost the plot, or uh, maybe a double bogey, I think, at his 16th hole, and, or was it a triple, whatever it was, he, he dropped out of contention. But it would have been amazing to see Staff if he had have, been, had have gone on to finish his tournament at the ninth hole of the golf course <laughs> and a long way ahead of the final group. It would have been a rather strange feeling to see that situation happen. So, look, there's a number of things still to be tweaked in terms of getting this format right. But I think, and as I said before, I'm more of a traditionalist. I would prefer in some ways to see the separation of the events. But at the end of it all, it becomes a logistics issue. It becomes a cost-efficiency issue. Mm. And I think the numbers that turned up at the Australian Golf Club yesterday afternoon, right over the weekend, tell the story that this is successful as far as the Australian golfing public are concerned. And at the end of it all, that's probably all that matters. And finally, Bruce, talking to Bruce Young, our golf analyst out of Australia. Tiger Woods came back in the weekend. Sponsors, golf organisers, brands, um, irrespective of his score, they'll be delighted he's back. I think so. And look, he, he, he did well, didn't he? He's, he's an amazing animal in so many respects. The fact that he's been able to come back and, and play as well as he did, I know, you know, he probably wasn't quite up to his expectations. I don't know what his expectations were, but it's just good to have him back around the game. He generates so much, much publicity irrespective of how he's playing. So yeah, good to see him back. He's talking about playing one event per month next year, next season, uh, and just pacing himself. And clearly he's still uh, bothered and uh, uh, handicapped to a large extent by the injuries that he's still carrying from that car crash. But any time Tiger Woods is in the field, you know you're going to get a hell of a lot of publicity. Yes, you are. All right, Brucey, thanks so much for chatting to us. Um, we will link up again before too long. Okay. All right. Cheers, Steph. Thanks. Cheers, buddy. Bruce Young, and he's part of the commentary team for the New Zealand Open, which is down at Queenstown. I'm just wondering what the format is down there. I know there's the, the Pro-Am and... They've played uh, the Hills before, and um, I just I just wonder which was it last year. They just went to one course. I'm not 100 percent sure. 
Um, I'll have a look up at that, actually, or Joe might even beat me. I can see whenever I ponder a question, he goes straight to the laptop. I'm never quite sure what Joey's up to, but he's wearing a magnificent hat and his team are winning in the NFL. Sorry, um, sorry, Phil, from Hastings and anyone else recording the uh, the NFL. Uh, I'm picking that in Joey's sports update, which is upon us, he might give us an NFL update. He might not. Let's find out. You sit back and relax, Staffy. It's time for Sporting Headlines. You've been busy today, Staffy. You, you yeah. sit back and relax, man. I actually have my hands behind my head, interlocked fingers, leaning back on the pneumatic, pneumonic, pneumatic chair. Mm. When you're relaxed, I'm relaxed. When you're relaxed, the whole country's relaxed. And nice. You, you know what, though? I'm very happy because my 49ers are up 42 to 19. 42 to 19 against the number one seed in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. Oh, this is like the meat patties beer. I'll tell you what, it was incredible. In fact, in the first quarter, the 49ers were really struggling. It was at the, towards the end of the first quarter, I think it was even the start of the second, and the Eagles had uh, seven or eight first downs, and the 49ers had, had zero first downs. Wow. They were really struggling, and then the defense really stood up, gave the 49ers time to get back into the game, and they have absolutely destroyed the Eagles. Debo Samuel, I've just I've seen him score two touchdowns. He's been electric. He he was getting a lot of flack on Twitter actually. People love to troll Debo Samuel because he's a very sensitive kind of guy, and also he doesn't. There we go, 138 total yards and three touchdowns for Debo Samuel. Wow. 133 total yards for McCaffrey, one touchdown. 314 throwing yards for Brock Purdy. So the 49ers team to be in Super Bowl, I'm calling it. Mm. Interesting. Just before you do your yeah. next news headline, just a question on the NFL. Uh, what's Taylor Swift's boyfriend's name? Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. People are saying at the end of his career, he'll go down as the greatest of all time in his position. Uh, yeah, it's just, so basically people love Rob Gronkowski. Mm. They say that he's the greatest of all time. Um, because you just couldn't mark him. And I don't think it was quite the same. Like, I do remember watching Gronk play sometimes, and it would just be like, oh, this is automatically a touchdown. Like, you just know it, you know? And I think he's also considered to be a better blocker because the tight end role, you're also an offensive mm. lineman. It's mm. not just about catching. So I think Gronk is, but what I would say is that Kelsey hasn't got injured as much as Gronk. Gronk got injured a lot and didn't play for whole seasons, you know? Mm. And that hasn't been the case with Kelsey. So honestly, He'll get his heart injured yeah. soon. His heart's going to get injured oh, soon. You've got to think by the end, uh, year's end, uh, he'll Taylor's be Taylor's got history. Well, you'd think so. Mm. Carry uh, on. Sorry, Joey. No, that's all right. That's all right. I love talking Taylor Swift. Uh, <laughs> but from one driver to another, Mitchell Johnson took aim at David Warner in a cutting newspaper column asking why the opener is being given a hero send-off on home soil when Australia faces Pakistan in the third and final test of the series at the SCG. Johnson was perplexed by the selector's decision, saying, why does a struggling test opener get to nominate his own retirement date? And why does a player at the centre of one of the biggest scandals in Australian cricket history warrant a hero's send-off? I mean, it's fair enough. Mitchell Johnson. Mitchell Johnson, my new favourite Australian cricketer. And Travis Head. I've got two now. And, and you know, and what I was talking about this uh, on Friday is uh, he mentioned the Lou Vincent thing and that fact that Warner is still allowed to play and, and he'll get a hero send-off and after they, that scandal. Him and Smith sat out two years, uh, a year each. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. And and now he gets to decide how he's going to end his test career. Mm. Uh, and it's wrong. 
Giancarlo Italiano came out firing in his press conference following Wellington Phoenix's win over Western United that sent them to the top of the table as he called out some preseason assessment of the team, Staffy. No, I, I didn't envisage that would be top of the table after six rounds. Um, I had an inkling after our first, uh, well, we only had two pre-season friendlies, one, one against Newcastle and one against Victory, that uh, we would be quite competitive this season. Uh, even though a lot of people wrote us off, I felt as though, one, it was disrespectful, but it was also those two games gave us a lot of insight. Victory were actually quite good in uh, that pre-season friendly. I'd never write any team off in any in anything. Um, you can be surprised at how, how high up they are on the table, but I'd never write a team off. No, the Phoenix have been incredible, though. I mean, I think uh, coaches always have a bit of the chip on the shoulder, and obviously they'll know their team better than anyone else. But I think it would be obviously fair to assess that they were probably going to be uh, floating around somewhere where they were at the end of last year. But they've done stunning. They've done incredible. They have been. They've been amazing. And that's your sporting headlines. Oh, sorry, that's my sporting headlines. I just got a phone call, so I'm just going to pick it up. Okay, thank you. Um, Joe's got a phone call. <clears throat> Lots of texts coming in. I already texted today that New Zealand cricket lacks player depth, and we therefore need to pick our best talent. That is Ravindra. And with Latham and Conway struggling, we're even more stressing our middle order. In Bangladesh, uh, they need one paceman because Mitchell is a backup, similar with the White Ferns, lacking depth and aggression. You build depth, don't you? You just build depth, I think. Um, and I, I sort of pointed out to Warren Lees, I feel like there's a reluctance to try new things, try new tactics. Um, I just feel like there's a reluctance. Uh, got a call from Canterbury. We've got Kenny. G'day, Kenny. G'day, Daffy, bite your tongue. You do not have a favourite Australian cricketer. There's no such thing. Oh, Travis Head. He looks like a lad. But Mitchell Johnson for calling out Davy Warner, that goes right to the top of the list. <laughs> yeah. That would make me want to talk to him, but still, I can't believe you've got a favourite Australian cricketer. Well, least disliked, is that better put? That, that's much better. Okay. Um, but, Joe, you've got to bring back that jingle, mate. Joey. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll, I'll exert my dominance over Joey. At 2.30, he will play the old one. Okay, Joey, are you okay with that? 2.30? Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, this is why I got rid of it. It's, it's an encore. Watto wrapped over it th- for three days straight, and it's ruined it for me, okay? Um, I won't rap over it. Uh, yeah, I know, but it, it's been... Did, did you listen, Kenny? Did you listen to him rap over my um, intro? Yeah, I think it was Watto that really ruined it. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I enjoyed working with Rotto, but that was the one thing. He, when he hears music, he's got to rap. He's just got to. Even if the music doesn't fit it, even if there's other words, <laughs> he'll rap over it. But you know what, Well, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't tease that lovely girlfriend of yours, so why would you tease the last night? <laughs> That's such a good point, Kenny. All right, I'll, I'll play it at 2.30. Well played, Kenny. Well played. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Uh, excellent. Uh, further to that, oh, these, oh, that was... That was Neil's one, actually. And then he said further to that text, coaches live by the selections and motivation. Foster struggled until he selected better and the cricket coaches seemed to stayed. I like that word, to stayed in their selections. Staff, on Will Jordan, 
I think Razor will also keep him on the wing. He's got some major flaws in his game at test level for 15. Mackenzie, 15. Cheers, Ken. Isn't Mackenzie going to be the 10? Isn't Mackenzie going to be the 10? Although Bodie's back. Oh, I don't. That's interesting, eh, Ken? Whatever. Razor will get them all playing better. Uh, Jamie. Hi, can you please ask... Oh. Sorry, you sent that during the Monty chat. What he thinks of the new signings at the Warriors... Zion Ma'u and Jacob Laban. And is Jacob related to Ken Laban? Yes, he is. I can answer that one, Jamie. Sorry. Um, I'll do some Warriors chat before the season end. And uh, sorry, mate. Staffy. Andre Mihailovic's next fight, his opponent got injured. So knife fight for him anytime soon. Paul Bucket. I didn't know that. Because he had, the, it was like an eliminator fight, wasn't it? And if he won that, he could be the mandatory. I didn't know that. Oh, that's gutting. Staff, I hope someone's checked on Dean and Mikey after the Bowden announcement. They might need some counselling. Look, I'm here for you, Mikey and Dean, if that's the case. Um, Will Young averaged 40 in the past. He should be playing. Scott, yes, I like Will Young. Joey's jingle needs to come back. There's another vote for it. Staff eat New Zealand cricket is so conservative they find it difficult to change their underwear. James, I agree. Conservatism in the world of sport has no place anymore. You need dynamism, not conservatism. You need not gamble, but you need to take the odd chance. I mean, they did it with Fennellan. Have they been burned by that experience? Say, look, we gave Fennellan, what was it, 10 games in a row, and I think he came off once. Or Don't quote me on that, please. I might be wrong. But persevere with some people and be a bit more aggressive, particularly the White Ferns. Aggression, Wally Lee's pointed out. Anyway, we'll take a break and Johnny, Johnny, I was going to say Johnny Bell. Well, he is Johnny Bell. Actually, he's a cross between Joe Bell and Johnny Mac because uh, he's going to become a newsreader after this break. What's making news around the world? It's your oh, I think the show is dynamite at the moment. Dynamite. Steffi. Dynamite. It's going to blow up. It's going to blow up. Hey, speaking of dynamite, oh, what a oh. coincidence. Uh, <laughs> Look at your gun. <laughs> yeah, I'm on fire, aren't I? Hey, first story out of the UK. A couple who caught, uh, kept an unexploded missile as a garden ornament for decades said they were ready to go out with their home and everything in it after a bomb disposable unit told them it needed to be detonated. Oh, now this is weird. Uh, Jeffrey Edwards and his wife had kept the 19th century relic outside their home after moving back in, uh, in sorry, after moving in back in 1982. Mr. Edwards, who's lived in the same street uh, for 74 years, said he was told by the property's original occupants it had been there for more than a century. Wow! But he was uh, forced to bid an emotional farewell to the old. Uh, bomb this week after police knocked on the door on Wednesday evening and said it would need to be investigated by the Ministry of Defence. Later that night, he got the call to say a bomb squad would arrive the next day and the street needed to be evacuated. He said (laughs) they didn't sleep a wink that night, but he'd uh, lived in the house for 41 years, had known it all these years, and he told the bomb squad, if you evacuate this street, the wife and I are not leaving our home, we're staying here. Wow. Did he know it was he knew. active? Yeah, and he didn't care. 
Uh, he said that he told his GP before uh, <laughs> that he was going to stay in the house uh, <laughs> just in case he had uh, any uh, heart issues. Uh, but it, they disposed of it fine and it was uh, not an issue in the end. What can't, can't they give it back to him once it's been disarmed? I don't think... It doesn't say, but I doubt they did. Poor fella. Yeah, I know. Anyways, uh... In other news, six, six noises disrupted the official draw for next year's Euro 2024 football tournament. Hang on, hang on. Six, six noises? No, sorry, six noises. I actually, six noises? Yeah, 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 because I'm Kiwi. Oh. Six. Uh, six noises. Oh. Uh, disrupted. I've actually got, uh, I'll play like a second so I don't get fired, okay? But this is this is what they heard. You, They actually know this hasn't been confirmed, but they there were weird noises during the Euro 2024 draw. Wow. Number eight, in the last uh, A4. Euro. A4. <laughs> can you hear it? Like towards Just the end? in the background. Yeah, yes. yeah. See, because I think the giveaway is that you can hear the, the bed springs. Yeah. Which is why um, a YouTuber has claimed responsibility for it, but no one actually knows where it came from. Uh, but everyone found it hilarious, including uh, Gary Link. Uh, Lineker, sorry, Gary Lineker, who was hosting the coverage. He thought it was hilarious. So someone's got in, found out the frequency that the AV well, is on. and They said it was a phone, like a planted phone somewhere was coming oh. through. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Who's claimed responsibility, do you know? Uh, this guy, what's his name? Oh, Daniel Jarvis. Oh, Jarvo. Javo, is it Javo? Yeah, so Javo's the guy that used to get onto the pitch during national anthems in the. Oh, you think it's Javo? Yeah, maybe because he said he previously claimed responsibility for a similar prank when obscene noises disrupted the BBC's coverage of an FA Cup game between Wolves and Liverpool in January. Might be, might be Joey. Yeah, right. Interesting. Mm. And um, finally, police were called to the scene on the A11 near Barton Mills in Suffolk at around 3.20pm on Sunday because there was a, a large number of reindeer blocking, blocking the roads. Wow. They were on there for two hours. It took them two hours to get rid of them. But the big question is where they came from because there aren't thought to be any wild reindeer in England and there's no near reindeer farms <laughs> in Suffolk. So they have no idea where the reindeers came from. Wow. So North what do Pole. we think? Well, Santa's real. Not really. I think that's what we're thinking. Mm. I was watching uh, a lot of Christmas movies over the weekend, Staffy. Oh, Joey. Why? It's December the... Yeah, it's December the 4th. It's December. I suppose we're three weeks away, aren't we? We're exactly three weeks away from Christmas Day. We are, exactly. And on Friday night, on the 1st of December, I went to um, Franklin Road... In Ponsonby to watch the to see the Christmas lights. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. I'd recommend beautiful as ever. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend was mad at me at the time though, so I had to go with my friends and take a photo with my mates uh, kissing him in front of the hearts. Um, Your girlfriend wouldn't go. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I said some dumb stuff. Anyways, uh, we'll dig into that, listeners. We'll Don't worry. D- about we'll that. dig into that. But anyways, um, Miracle on 34, uh, th- 34th Street. Yeah. Yes, I watched that for the first time. Okay. Weird movie. Mm. Such a weird movie. Like, it's like like lawyers and stuff arguing about whether Santa is real, is basically it. Like, he, he, so Santa, I actually never, I wasn't really listening fully, but I don't know why he was decided to move to New York, but for some reason he decided to move to New York. And then he decided to work as a mall Santa. And then the mall was really successful, but the bank, the people, the bank that owned the mall wanted to shut it down. Um, and so, 
they were trying to get rid of the Santa, and so they basically um, were like abusing, like verbally abusing the Santa, and the Santa lost uh, his cool and hit someone, and then he had to go to uh, court, and then he was um, going to be thrown in the loony bin because he insisted that he was called Santa, uh, and then so they had to have this court case to disprove uh, that he was Santa, and he ended up winning it because of love. Go Santa! Yeah. So that's uh, that's what's making news for you, Staffy. And Keith texts in and say, "Come on, Joey, you can't use the audio from your bedroom on live radio." <laughs> I'll tell you what, there was no such audio this weekend. <laughs> it was just me on the couch crying. And Craig said it could have been the phone jacker <clears throat> who sabotaged the Euro draw. Oh, True. that's pretty good. True. Right, we'll have our last break before the news. Uh, I will get to Joey's weekend, don't worry about that. Joey, we're all good boys, and good boys need the jingle. 2.30, it's going to come back, I insist. Staffy, my final shot at the Bowden announcement, at least he signed and not walked away. The jersey means a lot to some, and not so much to others. Never choose an all-black from overseas who is unsigned from Ken. Uh, Staffy, Bowden could be the most capped all-black. I saw that come in before. Sam Whitelock's the most on 153. Then Richie, 148. Mialamu, 132. Reed, 127. Bone Barrett's sixth on the list at the moment, 123. So he signed to the end of 27, you said, didn't you, Joey? So he'll have the test matches in 24, 5, 6, 7. Four more years. And he's 30, 30 behind Sam Whitelock. So it's only eight a year. Could well end up. And the other thing. He's only six tries from being the top all-black try scorer of all time. Currently in sixth, Doug Howell at 49. He's been there for a long time. Julian Savia, 46. Christian Cullen, 46. Joe Rockathoko, 46. Jeff Wilson, 44. Bowden Barrett, 43. Bowden Barrett's uh, 43. The only other current player on that list is Rico Ioani on 36. And he's got a lot of age on his side. He could end up ultimately have, being the most try scores for an All Black at the end of his career. And the only player currently playing in the most caps is Bowden Barrett at, what did I say, 123 in sixth spot. He could set all sorts of records. Most points, no one's going to catch Dan Carter. 1,600 points. Bowden Barrett, 700. Andrew Merton's 967. Bowden Barrett on in third place. He might get to second if he takes up the goal-kicking duties as well. Right, we're going to have a walk down memory lane. 2003, 20 years ago this weekend, the Silver Ferns won the World Netball Championships after a long hiatus. Annie Stanley, the captain, will join us. Let me tell you. You my little boo thing. So I'll give a hoot what you do, say girl, I know. You a little too tight. I'll be shooting that shot like 2K, girl, I know. Tell him I'm telling him I'm next. Tell him you find a little something too fresh, I know. Tell him I'm telling him I'm next. Tell him you find a little something too fresh, I know. Well, they had a reunion in the weekend, the 2003 Silver Ferns, and just listening to that music, they probably would have got down to that in the weekend and celebrated. Now, before we catch up with the captain of that squad, let's just revisit some highlights from that final. Well, we're underway. This is the match that they've waited for for four years. 
as the turnover comes against New Zealand. They waste the first centre of the match. Into the corner, quick hands, beautiful hands from Chema Parra-Clark to find Van Dyke. As close as you can be, the lead now three for New Zealand. New Zealand have scored the last five on the trot, so after a slow start, the Silver Ferns now on a roll. So a reprieve for Australia. The world champions go to the post. The initial distance. That's one back. That's the use of the first turnover. Australia will have the centre to follow. Now, is that a warning? That is repeated. Is it a warning? She walks to the umpire. centre position as Clark just loses the boundary on what is a challenge and what is against the rules as Australia equalises 40 apiece. New Zealand playing without a wing defence as Colling Hall's one in nicely well this could well spur the Silver Ferns more than anything to be determined not to relinquish this game. Neil left the court at three quarter time, Cox on for her and New Zealand seem determined to make this match their own. New Zealand have the lead by four, five and a half minutes remaining in this match. And Jane, you've gone white, say something to me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm shivering in the seat, Anna. And that will about do it. Crowd on their feet. Ruth Aiken, you have done what many before you haven't been able to do. The world netball title crosses the Tasman, the Silver Ferns rejoice. Yes, the whole country rejoiced and so did the team and the coaching staff. And we've got the skipper from that day, 20 years ago. She was Anna Robery then, she's Anna Stanley now. Oh, it seems a long time ago, Annie, but you celebrated properly in the weekend. We certainly did, Steffi, and uh, my voice is a little bit worse to wear at the moment after celebrating in, in good style. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fabulous weekend reconnecting with, uh, you know, some pretty special uh, people in our lives. Yeah, uh, just to remind people that the, the New Zealand squad there, and there's just some iconic players, Cheryl Clark, Belinda Colling, uh, the wonderful Tanya Dalton, uh, Vili Davu, uh, Liana the Brain, she is now deployed then, Tema Para, Leslie Nicholl, yourself, Anna Scarlett, Jodie Brown, she was Tahuna then, the wonderful Irene Van Dyke playing her first World Chaps for New Zealand, and Nadine Wilson. I mean, it's a who's who of netball history. Um, and did you realise, like you were a player then, but looking back, did you realise how important that was at the time? Well, look, we hadn't won a world, um, a gold medal in 16 years. So there were a few senior players in that team um, and some real young ones. So you look at Scarlett, um, Jodie Brown, you know, they were, they were the, the real young ones in the team. And, and for a few of us, we had already ticked off a few World Cup campaigns and lost. So we were sort of knew that this was going to be our last probably chance at, at getting a gold. So um, we knew heading into it that we had to pick a team and, and Ruth had to pick players that were going to go above and beyond. And she even sat down and, and we talked about it in the weekend at the reunion that she went around the country and she interviewed players and she, she thought that she had to pick players that were going to put in that extra, um, extra commitment because we had to do something different. And so she put her team of 12 together and 
there was just this innate belief in all of us that we were we were going to go all the way. We had prepared so well. We were the fittest we'd ever been. And there was a real sisterhood and a real belief that we could do it. So that was something that came across and resonated over the course of the weekend when we all sat back and reflected that at no point did we ever think we were going to lose. Yeah, the, the World Champs in 95, we lost to Australia by one. 99, we lost by one. And a few minutes into this final, um, I was watching a few of the highlights this morning, 8-3, Australia were leading. Was there ever any doubt or any nervousness during the final? No, and, and interestingly, you know, even, even though we were five down initially, um, we knew that we, we would get into gear at some point. We knew we had the strategy and we had the belief and we had the skill and the, and the, and the players to be able to do it. And I think that's what, you know, that was, that's what set us apart from other campaigns. I think in previous years we, we feared losing too much and it was not, um, it's more about, you know, believing that you can do it. And I think, you know, the old saying goes, you've got to lose a few to win a few and you've got to know, um, you don't know how to win until you've lost. And I think we'd just come to a point after 16 years and, you know, I was in that 95 team that lost. I was in that 99 team that lost. Mm. Um, and it was just time for the, 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 the tide to change. And we had to have a few players that had to lead the way. And we were lucky that, that we had the, um, you know, the players who were prepared to, you know, not work as hard in terms of um, working outside of netball. They, you know, they stopped working just so that they could concentrate on the net- netball and put in and be a professional athlete, even though we weren't getting paid as such. So, you know, we, we took a hit financially, but the reward was, you know, just something that you could, um, you know, you'd always wanted, and it was to be a world champion. Tell us about the impact of Tema Para, long thought of and will be for a long, long time, as one of the finest mid-quarters we've ever produced. She was on a mission, and in fact, Liz Ellis said and I watched an Aussie doco on that championship. So Liz Ellis said it looked like Temapara played like she wanted to win the championship by herself and dragged the team with it. She was on a mission, wasn't she? And we, we talked about that at the weekend. We said, what was going through your head when you had to sit on that bench, you know, for, for, for two goals? You know, it's a bit like, you know, what we, what we watched at the recent Rugby World Cup. Mm. Um, and she just sat there and she thought, well, I've let my teammates down. I've got to go back out there and, and, and make up for it. And, I mean, that's just the attitude that you want from any player, right? And she came on and she basically, yeah, was out there, a woman possessed and came away with ball and, and just fought to the bitter end. But, you know, that's why she got put on that team because in those dying moments, Ruth knew and we all knew that she was a player that you could rely on. And, and that's at the end of the day, we, we could rely on each other. Uh, doing our own job, but Bubby was um, boy in those last few minutes. She was doing she was doing quite a few people's job. <laughs> she was amazing, and Irene Van Dyke. I don't like to separate separate out players, but did you know yeah. she would have the career and the impact on on the game of netball globally in her first World Champs? No, because, well, I mean, I, I played against Irene in 95 when she um, played for South Africa, and that's the, that's the year that we actually didn't make the World Cup. And then in 99, she came, she came just after 99, I think, yeah. Um, and initially when I came into our team, you know, it took, took uh, New Zealand a while to learn how to feed her, and, how, and she had to learn a whole new way of playing because in South Africa all she did was just stood under the hoop. So there were some real teething moments in those first two years with eyes. 
but I don't think anyone would have thought that she would have gone on to the heights that she did. And, you know, we looked at her on the weekend. She just looks so lean and trim, and she <laughs> looks like that she could run around a netball court at the moment. And she was laughing, going, well, all I needed to do was, you know, stand in this little circle. But we are like, no way, eyes. You were getting knocked and topped by some of the most fierce defenders in the world, you know. Um, so she plays it down. But, I mean, I look back at that era and think, gosh, the Silver Ferns wouldn't have probably been half as good had she not been there. You know, she was incredible. And when you've only got two players in a netball team that can shoot the goal, and one of those is like an Irene Van Dyke, or now is a Grace Nwicky. Mm. You know, you, you rely on them a lot. And um, it just goes to show you how important having that height in the back is and someone that, that you can depend on and, and is reliable. And, and she was there for us. She was lucky. She had a physique where she didn't get injured. She, you know, she got through unscathed. And even now, you know, we're all complaining about arthritic knees and joints and toes and ankles, and <laughs> she's just fine as dandy. So Run, running half marathons and stuff, for goodness yeah, sake. exactly. And she's always very quick. She's so humble, Irene. She's already, always saying, look, I wouldn't be in the player without the likes of Belinda, without Jody, without Maria after this World Cup. Um, yeah. And Belinda Colling was phenomenal for this team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's just so many players that, that, that lead the way and, you know, Belinda was a real leader um, down that shooting end and really did help Irene out a lot. Um, and, you know, again, you could always rely on Bill on that centre pass. She didn't have the best, when you look back at her, the accuracy of her shots, she was never the most amazing accurate shooter. Mm. But what you what you got with Belinda was, was hard work. You know, at the end of the game, her face was, was bloody red and we always used to giggle about it because <laughs> she just gave everything and she was tough. Uh, she gave it to the Aussies in every match she could. Um, and, you know, I spent most of my netball career um, on that centre pass with Bill and by the end we just didn't even need to look at each other. We knew what we were doing. So, uh, you know, for me, she's always been a, um, a special player that, that I loved playing with. Looking back at the 2003 champs, uh, and the the last 20 years, I was amazed when I saw uh, 24 teams involved. We saw uh, St. Vincent and Grenadines. We saw Sri Lanka, mm. Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, uh, Grenada, Canada, Hong Kong, St. Lucia. Uh, we don't get 24 teams at the Worlds anymore. No, no. Um, yeah, I know it's... it's I mean, the good thing about netball is that when I used to play, it was really just the top two players dominating. Mm. And what we've seen with the evolve, our sport evolving is that now we have a top six. Mm. And at the recent World Cup, you know, I mean, New Zealand didn't even make the final. So, um, no, they did, did they? No, they, no, they didn't. No. I can't even remember. Did no. they, were they in the final? No, no they weren't. No. I was there. I was there. <laughs> Um, this is what happens. You just go, what happened again? Um, but it just goes to show you how all these other countries have, have you know, come up to speed. And I think it's because we're seeing a lot of players, you know, play in Australia in the Suncorp League. We've got South Africans over there. Um, we've got Malawi players playing in England. And so that's, that's a great thing for world netball, that it's not just a two-horse race anymore. We're loving that. We just need to get in. I mean, if we want it to be an Olympic sport, we need to get into America. We need to hit hit the Americas, and and you know, and that that would really transcend our sport. 
given that we were the one of the big two <clears throat> for a long, long time, and then England joined that fray, and then um, Malawi caused the upset at the Commonwealth Games. We know how strong Jamaica is, etc. Something needs to happen here. It's either we let international players into the ANZ Premiership or we need to let New Zealanders go and play in the Australian comp. But that's in a bit of uh, administration trouble at the moment. What, what's the easiest or most logical thing, do you think, for New Zealand netball, or is there one? Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a million-dollar question, Steffi. And, and let's not forget, we're not a professional sport. We don't have the money that, that, that other sports do, so we're always battling. Look, it would be great to say to our New Zealand players, you know, go over and play in the Suncorp, go and play in England. But, but we need our players to be playing in New Zealand. We need, we need our young netballers in, in New Zealand to be looking up to our New Zealand silver ferns that are playing in New Zealand. Mm. Or... Or we have, or we have a system where we try and um, manage the league so that they are staggered, so that you could play in the ANZ Premiership for the first half of the year, and then you go and play in the Suncorp for the second half of the year. So they they're not on at the same time. But then trying to get these international bodies to work together, uh, it would it would potentially be a bit of a nightmare. So it, it's a tough one. I think at this stage we need to retain our key players and our silver firms in New Zealand playing alongside other Kiwi players and building um, you know, building the standard in our own country. Um, but the opportunity needs to come at some point where uh, you know, they, they can play overseas. The one that I don't think would be too tough would be at the end of the Premiership and at the end of the Australian comp, our top three play their yeah. top three yeah. in a mini tournament. Yeah. You can do some home and away or New Zealand can host in one yeah. venue over a week then. That shouldn't be too yeah. tough. Oh, I, I know, you're telling us. We've been like a broken record and we talk about a lot on our netball podcast. We talk about a lot on, on Sky. Um, that is the easiest solution. Uh, you know, end of the year, I mean, by sort of um, August, September, most, most of the leagues around the world are finished. So it's just slotting in a bit of a super club competition or whatever you'd want to call it before the international season kicks in. Um, and as you say, have, have a home and away sort of situation. That would be incredible. Um, but I guess there's been so much going on across the ditch in Australia. I mean, their players haven't even been paid for the last eight weeks. So I think what needs to happen is in Australia is they need to sort out their administration. They need to sort out uh, Australian netball because it's been in, in a bit of a um, shitstorm, for a want of a better word. Yeah. And, you know, they need to sort that out for their players and for their sport in, in Australia first and foremost. And then they can start looking at, you know, how we can um, work together, you know, maybe the top four nations to, to, to help lift the standard of, of netball globally. And finally, and I've left it till last, <coughs> intentionally, the wonderful woman, Tanya Dalton, um, who was part of that playing group. I was so stoked to see the big full-size cardboard cutout at your function, wherever that was. What an incredible yeah. woman she was, and I'm so pleased she was part of it. Oh, there wouldn't. Yeah, she was never not going to be part of it. We even, <laughs> we even got a message from Taylor, her her daughter. Um, uh, so we got a message from her all the way from uh, San Francisco, where she plays basketball. So we had the life the the life size model of of T in the lounge. Got lots of photos with her, and yeah, I mean it was really tinged with a bit of sadness that she wasn't there, given every other. 17 of us were there, six management and 11 players, and mm. it was just Tans that was missing. And I think that just showed to us, you know, the love and the admiration that we all had for each other. Um, and 
that's what sport gives you, you know, when you retire and you finish up, the, the gift of friendship keeps on giving and that's what we're all really lucky to have. Mm. Well, Anna, it might be 20 years ago, but it'll long live in your memory and a lot of other sports fans' memory. So thank you for all of that 20 years ago and everything you've done for the game right up to this very day. I really appreciate you chatting to us and reliving some of those memories. Pleasure. Thanks, Steffi. There she is, uh, Annie. She was Annie Robery when she was the captain. Um, and just those names that were involved, you know, Tanya Dalton um, sadly passed a few years ago now, one of the most moving funerals I've ever been to. Um, and she was a massive socialite, was uh, Tanya Dalton. I got to work with her a little bit when I first started covering the netball uh, for the TV with Sky. And um, she was all about the aftermatch and just a joy to behold and I I will always remember at North Harbour Stadium it was where her funeral was and the hearse did a lap of the um, a lap of the ground to Forever in Blue Jeans by Neil Diamond and um, the whole grandstand was full and everyone singing and waving waving her adios and um, yeah I, I, I love that she played a major part in that 20 year anniversary New Zealand Netball World Champions. Right, we shall take a break and I'm going to quiz Joey about what went on in his weekend after this. Um, Rory said he asked his missus what the weather forecast is going to be for Christmas. I looked out the window and said, looks like reindeer. Rory, he just delivers. Uh, what most of, oh sorry, from Chris says, with most of us getting in trouble, a bit of love advice with what or what not to say from Joey would be handy. Cheers from Chris. So Joey, your girlfriend didn't go to the Christmas lights parade or viewing in Franklin Road um, because you said a couple of wrong things. So what did you do wrong? Okay, well, look, this faux pas actually starts from about a month ago. Oh. So um, I threw a Halloween party at the end of October. I remember that. Yes. And um, my girlfriend doesn't like dressing up really, right? But uh, and she I was, like her just a little bit more yeah, now because yeah. I don't like dressing up either. And she was kind of like joking about how she wasn't really like going to dress up or she'd just wear like a, a sheet over herself, you know, uh, to like hide. So she like just pretending that she didn't know me. But anyways, <laughs> uh, she so yeah she uh, she went to pre's with her friends beforehand to get a bit of confidence, you know, to turn up with a bunch of people. And so she was a bit late arriving. And uh, there was this uh, girl who really put in a lot of effort. Um, and so I took a photo of her and sent it to my girlfriend and said, I hope you look like this. I think the issue was that... <laughs> <laughs> the, the issue was that the girl maybe wasn't wearing too many garments, and uh, you know, and some people say she was attractive. I don't, but anyways, and so and and so the girlfriend heads up to the party, and I don't realize that she's angry at me, and I hand the other girl uh, fifty dollars for best dressed. <gasps> oh, so you've sent your girlfriend a photo of this girl, yeah. and then in front of your girlfriend, you've given her fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> A scantily clad yes. party goer who everyone said was attractive, but you didn't find her attractive exactly. because you've only got ice for one woman. Exactly, yes. And then so <coughs> So how did that rear its head again? Okay, well so it's not like it's kind of all connected. So fast forward to last week actually, and uh, we were watching uh uh, like TV together and we, we put on my Amazon Prime and my girlfriend said, Who's Kate? Whose profile's Kate? And I said, Oh, that's my girlfriend for like two years ago. She said Okay, a bit weird, but whatever. Anyways, fast forward to Friday night, 
and we're going through my um, photos. I'm show. I'm, I want to show photos of like what I was dressed like in like uh, the start of this year when I went to the races, Cracker Millions. Yeah. And I go a bit too far, and I, I like I've got photos of all this girl I was dating at the time, and then, like, there's like a lot of them, and I kind of acted weird, and she took the phone, and she's like, like like there's like way too like. But I look, I honestly they're not there on purpose. I just got, forgot to delete them. But so you had hundreds with this girlfriend, and you've got yeah, bugger all exa- with your current girlfriend. Exactly, exactly. Oh, it's quite a lot. And so, uh, anyways, and then, um, and so she was quite upset at me about like all that kind of stuff. You know, she's like, "It's just you've done three things within quick succession." Mm. You know, and and the, she's concerned because like I'm quite a bit younger than her. There's a three year age gap, and she's worried that I'm not mature enough and I don't learn my lessons. Oh, what do you think, New Zealand? Is this shaky ground? I mean, I don't think shaky ground. I think like I I can definitely get back there, but I just need to uh, do something. Well, I just think I need to like learn less. Like because the other big issue she has with me at the moment. Really hope she's not listening. The other big issue she has with me is I don't like um, do things. Like when I go to her house, right? Like I don't uh, be like, oh hey, do you? Oh she comes to mind. I'm not like, hey, do you want some water? Do you want tea or something? You know, when she uh, when her friends came over the, uh, on Saturday and we had drinks, I was like uh, drinking some wine. And I didn't offer her things. You know, like Joey, I, you've got to be a better host. I don't cook for her. Like I like she cooks for me. Like I, I she's like I almost you know like it's. She's taking care of me, and I'm not really taking care of her. I'm being, and then at the same time, I'm saying other things about girls and got photos of girls on my phone. You know, like. So here's a simple fix for you. Yeah. It's an old school fix. You get a bit of string, you tie it around your finger. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then every time you say, "Oh, string on my finger," oh, I've got to do something for <gasps> Clannard or whatever her name is. Um, yeah, Giller. Uh, Giller. Um, just a, just a little thing. Oh. Just a little trigger. That's a, a great idea. A little trigger on the photos thing. On the photos thing, yeah. okay? So here's something else you could do. Just sprung to my mind. Mm. Book, and you pay, yeah. book uh, a session with a photographer and get some nice photos of the two of you together, Ooh. which you never did with your ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, go the one step further. But don't yeah. tell her that's why you're doing it. Yeah, just, yeah. And don't do it all today. Yeah. Just spread it out over Christmas. But no, but I, I like that. I mean, I like all of it, but I think, yeah, one thing I can immediately do, because I feel like that's the crux of the issues, past all the girl stuff, is and I do need the the reminder to do something nice for her, like, because to think of her more. Mm. Basically, just saying that I'm not thinking of her, like, mm. um, you know. And when she sees the string on your finger and she yeah. says, what's that? That's just to remind me to stay on top of sports things for Stafford's show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Okay. okay. That's to remind me to watch the 6.30 news so I can mm. know the sporting headlines. Because once that string's been there a week, you yes. will create a new habit. So every time she comes around, it's like, Hubby, can I, can I grab you something? I've got some Mountain Dew. I've got some whatever. Or um, Yeah, that's brilliant. Because she asked me, she said, like, uh, like, who are you going to talk about this kind of stuff to? And I said, honestly, uh, the I'm country. Not really, well, exactly. I don't want to say but the country. I knew you'd give good advice, Daffy. Thank you. Um, Ken's just written, Joey, Joey, Joey. Look, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, New Zealand. He's not in denial. He, he, he's taking it on board and he wants to learn and he wants to be more worldly and that's what we're all here for. Um, <laughs> Richard believes she should give you the ask, Joey. No, I, I don't want that for Joey because she's a wonderful young woman uh, quick text before Joey's headlines and stand by for Joey's headlines all of you people particularly Kenny uh, just on the Rutsch and Ravinda non-selection any other international team would strike while the iron is hot and Ratchin is hot property right now he's 24 years old 
and he's ready. He's not an 18-year-old Martin Crow, where the selectors were nervous back in the early 80s and could not bring themselves to expose him. We don't have that much depth, for goodness sake, from Graham. He's 24. He's a man. He's a man. Robbie says, just dump her and enjoy your life, Joey. No, Robbie. Wrong advice. (laughs) Tim, it's over now, Joey. Sharing with the nation, probably not a smart move too. Four strikes and you're out. He's had three. She won't be listening today. Well, no, because she listens on her lunch break, but that's well past. There's no way she's had her lunch break this late, like not no. 2.30 yet. No, but it's it's all from a, a, an area of love and concern and from wanting the relationship to develop and flourish. I generally just want advice. Like I generally, like you're giving me great advice, you know, like, mm. and I, there's nothing embarrassing that she's done. It's all about me. It's about, yeah, you know, she's done nothing wrong. No, no she, nothing at all. Yeah. Mm. All right. It's time for this. I know you want them. I know you want them. I know you want them, but you're a good boy. Time for Joe's headline. Lots of good boys today, so you'll be rewarded. I feel like it's afternoons with Joey today. I'm loving it. (laughs) Not at all. Um, Hey, Camille French, did you hear about this? Nope. She impressed in her marathon debut, running under the Olympic qualifying standard at the Valencia Marathon, finishing in 2 hours and 26 minutes and 8 seconds. The 33-year-old is now the second fastest Kiwi woman to run a marathon behind Kimberly Smith. French's time was also the fastest marathon debut by a Kiwi woman. Yes, Camille! How incredible is that? Let's get her on the show. I, actually, we should, definitely. Because um, she, she previously represented New Zealand in the 5,000 metre and 10,000 at the Tokyo Olympics before switching to long-distance running following the birth of her daughter last year. Camille. Oh, oh fantastic. Well, yeah. we've got a half-hour show tomorrow. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, true. Maybe the next day. Uh, and Australia's Gold Coast has withdrawn its bid to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games, citing a lack of support from state or federal governments. The $700 million joint bid with Perth did, did not receive government backing following Victoria's withdrawal in July due to budget overruns. And the New Zealand Warriors captain, Tohu Harris, has resigned with the club until the end of the 2025 NRL season. Yes, Torhu. How good. Those Two are more headlines. years. Two, more, Two years. more years. Now, do we take a break now or do we do back in the day now? How does this work? I always get this last half hour on because we, yeah, we have to hit Jimmy Smith at 45. It's a bit complicated, isn't it? I think we should go to uh, uh, back in the day now. Yeah. Play the music. Here's what happened back in the day. Is it this one? 1985? Yes. 1985, yeah, yeah, 4th yeah. of December, New Zealand captured their first series against Australia when they won the third test in Perth by six wickets. Yes. Audio. Yeah, audio. Yeah, got it. Edged, and there it is. The winning run for New Zealand. Jeff Crow is the man who hits the winning run. New Zealand winning by six wickets with ten overs to spare. 1987, Merv Hughes captured the most convoluted hat-trick in Test history during the second Test against the Windies in Perth. He dismissed Ambrose with the last ball of his 36th over. He dismissed Patrick Patterson with the first ball of his 37th over, and that was the last of the West Indies' first innings. But he got Gordon Greenwich with the first ball of their second innings. What a hat-trick. On this day, in 2021, who can forget this happened? 
Oh, that's gone very high. Rachin Ravindra takes it. So it's all 10 for Rajas Patel. What a day for him. Oh, it's been outstanding. Fantastic. Fantastic. What a pleasure. What a privilege to be here to see this very, very rare achievement. Ajus Patel, 10 for 119, joined Jim Laker and Anil Kumble as the only three men to take all 10 wickets in a test innings against India and Mumbai. And who was playing? Rachin Ravindra. He was playing test matches a year ago. What are you holding back for? He's a better player now than he was then. Birthdays today, actor Jeff Bridges. He turns 74 today. The Delhi M medal winner and Kiwis great, the Wiz, Gary Freeman turns 62 today. Uh, born on this day, 1964, actress Marisa Tomei, she's from My Cousin Vinny, and Hot Aunt May, she turns 59. Jay-Z turns 54, and Tyra Banks turns 50. Isn't everyone getting old now, or is it just me? No, everyone along with me. Number one movie on this day in 2016 was Moana, and the number one song on this day in 2016 was by Ray Sremud. Let's hear it. Black beetle cream seats in the regal rocking John Lennon lenses like to see him spread. Eagle took a beer to the club and let a party on the table screaming, everybody's famous. Like clockwork, I blow it off. Did you not listen to this back in the day? Never heard of this. It was massive. Basically, um, I can't believe, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a internet uh, phenomenon. Yeah, uh, it was like a freeze frame thing. So like everyone would freeze and the camera would go around. Like NBA teams it was a big thing around oh, the NBA. Actually, that was called the. Are you sure it was the song? Yes, it was a song. Yeah, yeah. And because I remember freeze, the blues yeah. did it in the dressing room or in the gym. Yes, and the music would go stop, and everyone would just stop. That's right. Yeah, it was it was ma- massive around sporting clubs. Yeah, for some well, reason. Are you sure it was the song? Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, it was a hundred percent or ninety nine. Okay, ninety nine. But 99.999, because I love Ray Strummond. Okay. Wow. Never knew that. Never knew that. Couple of bit of, uh, couple more texts on the back of Joey. Joey, women are made for loving, not for understanding. <laughs> Joey, it seems you're going to need a full-time, higher-paying job for what this is going to cost you. That's from Terry. Joey, Joey. From David at Blackpool, our great listener in Blackpool. Now, I haven't read this text, but this will be a voice of reason. Join the club of fellas that aren't blessed with a dumb stuff filter. I've had my 70th birthday, and I still do dumb stuff. Only difference, I'm fast running out of dumb stuff to do. (laughs) Oh, I do like David from Blackpool. Oh, fantastic. Right, we're going to take a break now, and we're going to cross over... To Jimmy Smith, he does afternoons with Jimmy. I do afternoons with Stafford and we cross-pollinate. That's coming up next. Now, in weeks gone by, Jimmy Smith's been early. So we've we've just come in about 15 seconds early. But Joey's uh, not hearing them, which is a shame. Um, He's actually been... Oh, I think he's coming through now. Coming through now. Jimmy Smith. Coco Magic. What's the other buzzwords we use? Oh, here it is. It's got a good intro song, is Jimmy Smith. So, just running a little bit late. Good intro song. I think song. we're there. Wake up, kids. You there, Stuffy? You got the dreamer's disease. Yes. Hello? You've got a good intro song, mate. Just looking for Mark Stafford <laughs> over there in New Zealand. Are I'm you there, here. Staffy? I'm here. I'm here. 
I can hear no, you. He's not coming through. Oh, it's, it's their end again, isn't it? Him a little late, it's their end again. Oh, what do we do? And they send me through talk topics, actually. Yes, yes, he's now texting me. Yes, we can hear you. This is just great radio. They just can't hear me. Maybe go and get Brendan. Paul Hogan. Spent. No, he's talking about lift it up, Joey. We'll talk to. The, we'll listen to their he's not show. An NRL man and a Parramatta real supporter. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee would still be a big draw card to promote the game in the USA. Para should also be using him for a membership drive. Cheers, mate. Para tragic. The problem with that. So anyway, you've got to consult Hogs on it first, right? I mean, you've made a lot of assumptions there. One that he's going to be a draw card in the US, and two that. He's going to be. Yeah, there, you should hear me now. It's an NRL fan at all. Can you hear me? That he's happy to get involved, and now I can hear Mark Stafford. Yes, so there we everything go. Is, everything is good in the world. Yes, yeah, like glitch. Everything is good in the world. <laughs> um, now, why is Mitchell Johnson your new hero? Oh, just a stance on Davy Warner. I mean, you know how much um, Davy Warner means to us here in New Zealand. How he how he carries could, on? Could you give us an uh, Could you give us an understanding? Say a, a mark out of ten on Davy Warner, what he means to New Zealand. <sighs> Look, not many players, uh, Australian sports people, will get a standing ovation from New Zealand as a whole when they retire. <laughs> <laughs> Was yes. that because he's been such a thorn in your side for so long, or? No, um, just what Mitchell Johnson had to say, I mean, he he didn't miss that, that he gets to plan a farewell tour. Um, what did he say? The most out-of-form opener in Test cricket, the guy who brought scandal and disregard on Australian sports people with, his, with the Sandpaper Gate thing, and he gets a farewell tour? Oh, my God, you know he's going to get a century on his home ground. <laughs> you know it. In a it. session, probably. <laughs> yeah, in a session, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, look, my point on that is this: that first of all, if we go way the way back to Sandpaper Gate in 2018, that was Cricket Australia's gross mishandling of the whole issue. Right? Mm, if you mm. think about what the ICC, how they handled it initially, and then how it was, it just fell apart for um, players involved. Did they do the wrong thing? Of course they did. Were they the only ones who were involved in it? Of course they weren't. However, that's what we are led to believe. So, you know, we did a talk topic last week and said, "What documentary do you want to watch now?" And, and there was any number of people who said, I want all on truth serum, everyone from that 11 yes. and indeed the support staff over in Cape Town to tell us exactly what happened because we've got the, less than half of it, Staffy, on that one. So notwithstanding that, that, that David's involvement in that, and he was involved. We, we know that for a fact. Um, the other thing that he's done too is that he has struggled to score runs of late, take out the 200 that he got at the MCG, but you can't because he's still got it. Right. I think what he did, he didn't say he was entitled to it. And we had Matty White going through it earlier. He said that would be his ideal. That would be the plan to finish up at Sydney. And at that point, he then boxed the selectors into a corner. Mm. And that made it incredibly difficult for them to make that change. And um, I would suggest that there'll be a two of the two test matches coming up against Pakistan in the lead up to Sydney. There's probably going to be a chance that Australia don't bat twice in both of them. Mm. So... You're looking at a very small sample space to say, Dave, right, I play the Sydney test and then away you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's uh, and, fair. And, 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 and don't – Mitch Johnson is completely entitled to his own opinions and to express them in any way that he sees fit. But 
Um, I, and so that's fantastic. However, I just think uh, need to be careful. He he's not getting the swan song. Don't worry, we've seen it before. Steve War announced his retirement in the lead up to the first Test match of the five Test series. So he was happy to get the send off. You know that was all done. So it's not like it hasn't been done before. Oh yeah, we we did it with Ross Taylor as well, but <clears throat> they weren't right. ta- they weren't tarnished like Davy Warner. Yeah, that's yeah. the problem. Well, and, and yeah, but is Steve Smith tarnished as well? Oh hell yes, hell yes. Yeah right. Yeah. See, I I would say the perception of Steve Smith with the Australian sporting public compared to Dave Warner is very different. Yeah, like. What Steve Smith, his part in Sandpaper Gate, <clears throat> doesn't annoy me much as his fidgeting. That that does my head in. He's the rough and <laughs> he's the rough and dull of cricket. I does my head in. It's like a twelve year old. Absolutely, he is. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Hey, just speaking of cricket, well done, New Zealand, dragging into a fifth day that Test match against Bangladesh. So that was good. They must be excited <sighs> about the way things are shaping up for the summer. Tell me something, mate. Like you, you guys, oh. you got you guys know this. Look. Look, I'm going to agree with you here. Um, Rachin Ravindra, potentially one of the top players at the Cricket World Cup, 24 years old, world at his feet, and they put him in the grandstand and don't play him. And we're hearing they're not going to play him in the second test as well. He is our shining golden nugget of cricket in New Zealand. He's the one that the youngsters are looking up to and want to be like. He's played an incredible Cricket World Cup. They're saying he might go for two mil in the IPL auction, uh, and he's not playing. We just don't get it. So you you want Mitch Johnson to get off the long run? Maybe he get off the long run at the New Zealand selectors. Oh, they have that, all day. You're hundred percent right. Well, hundred and fifty run loss, and then you don't put this this bright young star in there. That that is ridiculous. Who's going to be the coach of the New Zealand Kiwis? Um, I, I threw up at the if you're talking about the situation with Wayne Bennett. Now, Wayne Bennett's coached national teams before when he's been coached at club level. Mm. If you're saying Michael Maguire's excluded because he's on a pathway, then the only other coach excluded is Billy Slater, and it is open then to all other professional rugby league coaches. Just don't get me started on the match thing. Like, I just can't believe that New South Wales said, yep, you can coach the Kiwis at the same time, and New Zealand said, no, you can't coach New South Wales Blues at the same time. They haven't framed it like that. They've said he decided to stand down. Uh, he was forced to stand down. I sent I sent the great man Madge a text of support and saying how disappointed I was, and through um, fairness that he sent his reply, a very long reply, um, I will respect the privacy, but he was disappointed and he'd love to coach the Kiwis again one day to sort of sum up what his text message was and said gave him some of his fondest memories ever in the coaching game, standing out on that field, having beaten the Australians 30 to nil, um, just filled his heart. So uh, it's 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 mind-blowing to me, Jimmy. It's mind-blowing. You know what? You, you didn't even need to meet every week with Torhu Harris. To mm. Get him over the line to play for the Kiwis. They were able to do it without him. So yeah. you know, to, to uh, who's just signed the for Pearl. Oh, the Pearl. Yeah, g'day, Pearl. How would Kiwis view David Warner if he was born and bred in Taranaki? Oh, gee, he wouldn't carry on like that, mate. If he was hearty Taranaki boy, he would not be jumping up and kissing monograms in club cricket. I can tell you that. <laughs> Very good, Staffy. Very good. <laughs> All right, mate. You have a great week. You too, buddy. There he is, Jimmy Smith. We will reconnect with him on Friday at the same time. Uh, Steve Smith is a wobbler from Brad. 
And have I got time to read this one? I'm going to say got quite a long text message with some advice for Joey. And it's come from someone calling themselves a Little Joe. Something like that. We'll read it after this.